Yeehaw, brother. Yeehaw, brother. Yeehaw, brother. Yeehaw, brother. Mm. Top mommy, of the morning. Mommy, I want mommy. I want mommy. Where's my fucking notes? God damn it. I want mommy. Where the fuck are my fucking notes? I want we'll do a line. Fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. That was the most fucked up thing in an episode ever. Um, whenever, oh my god, I'm still trying to get over it. So I was sick during Christmas. I'm sure people heard it last episode. I don't know what fucking episode number this is, but uh, it's because my, you're my throat is dying. Well, yeah, it's probably that. It's probably because I have Alzheimer's and I'm gonna die soon. But um. I like. I'm still trying to get over this cough, and then there's a bunch of people who live with me that are like, they're like getting sick. So I'm like, I'm worried that I'm gonna catch some like Omicron shit. You know, I'm like, I'm gonna catch the Optimus Prime variant. Um, so we'll the see. Optimus you know Prime I mean? variant. The Optimus Prime variant. That would be kind of cool if you could transform into cars and vehicles. If you caught it like that, yeah. I would. I would be I would be an uh, anti-vaxxer if you could have transformer powers if you caught the Omicron variant. I wouldn't. That'd be sick. <laughs> you could just fucking laser beam people out of it. That's what I'm saying. Wait, what are you talking about? You, you said you turned into an anti-vaxxer. Yeah, so I You'd could be catch the Omicron. Oh. Yeah. I thought you were saying if the, if the vaccine gave you it. See, that's no. what I'm talking about with the senile <laughs> shit. No. That's why I'm senile. I'm getting old as fuck. I'm going to die soon. Um, welcome to the Fortnite podcast. And I'm just kidding. Um, you want to go ahead and just get right the fuck into it? I mean, if you, if you, I mean, you read the title, you clicked on the fucking episode. If you don't know how to read, that's then on you, you brother. Should... I don't know what to tell yeah, you. You got here. All righty, brother. Um, we're doing our top 10 of 2021. So, uh, this will be fun. This definitely won't be an absolute shit show. I thought about doing, um, worst movies of, of the year as, like, an opening thing. But, like, there's too many. And that could be an episode by itself. I might genuinely do a solo episode just shitting Mm -hmm. on 15 worst movies that I saw. Because there was, so, just for the record, this is, like, a mentally ill thing that I did. I saw 183 movies that released in 2021 not movies that i revisited and watched right released but i saw 183 new releases were you watching there was one i watched like three or four movies while i was taking a poop but i normally i normally reserve that for tv shows um okay whenever I'm taking shit because I can just watch something that's like 10 minutes, 30 minutes, however. I mean, you normally get a feel pretty quick of like, you know, this is, I'm gonna, I have to poop for a long time or like, you know, whatever. Um, but uh, if there was one, if there was one word to surmise, which isn't really that much whenever you break it down to like one movie per day, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, the big one that I didn't actually, there were, Two that I didn't get to see. Um, one was The Worst Person in the World, which is kind of the front runner, I think, for like its best international feature. Um, I didn't see that movie because it's not even opening in the theaters until February 4th. So it's kind of a weird Judas and the Black Messiah situation or a movie like that where it's like 
I mean, some people have seen it in another year and then other people haven't, but because it's out early in the beginning of another year, it's up for award consideration, so it's lumped in with all these other movies. Um, kind of, you know, a little surprising that Morbius didn't come out, so that way we were not talking about that for Oscar season. Thank God. Um, Morbius podcast plan. Um, but, uh, what, was, what the fuck was I talking about? Oh, I saw a bunch of movies. Um, the other one right. that I didn't see was Licorice Pizza. Um, oh, yeah. Which is I mean, one that I genuinely that, that probably would have made its way in the, in the top ten, considering that I like a lot of Paul Thomas Anderson movies. But it was only playing in theaters on Christmas Eve and Christmas, which I got sick those days and was like basically puking up mucus. And then it wasn't playing because they canceled all the fucking showings for Spider-Man. So, um, wasn't able to see it. And it's not on VOD and it's not streaming anywhere. Um, there's some other movies that are not on my list, like Dune and King Richard and Nightmare Alley are great examples. Um, the reason why those are not on the list is because, uh, quite frankly, I didn't like them enough to be on the list. So, um, I can't believe I haven't seen Dune yet. Yeah, I'll quickly, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that you would like it. Um, uh, uh, maybe you can, you can look at the reviews. No, you can read, you can yeah, read but... all the reviews and stuff that I posted on my, uh, my letterbox, um, at much like online is the username, I think, or Florence hyphen, one of the two, um, letterbox is weird. I don't ever think I changed it. Um, and then all of AJ's ones that he's logged on his letterbox account virtual menu. So if you want to see kind of what we thought of stuff that maybe wasn't on our lists or didn't get a mention, um, that's a pretty good way to kind of figure out. So I logged most of the stuff I saw, um, with the exception of a couple documentaries oh. and stuff that I've seen more recently. I was surprised at how many 2021 movies I logged because I filtered by that and I saw quite a few on there. So, um, I would say the big two that didn't quite make my list is probably West Side Story and Pieces of a Woman. Um, West Side Story didn't make it because, quite frankly, I just don't like musicals enough to put it on there. Um, and Ansel Elgort is the star of that movie, and I think he's like a fucking charisma void. Um, and then uh, Pieces of a Woman didn't make it on there because while I think the movie is overall pretty good, the first half of that movie is really, really strong, and then the second half happens. Um, also, it's a movie that, you know, kind of is in the between the border of last year and whatever, and I, was, I just don't think it's as strong as anything that's on this list. That makes um, sense. With that, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and just march down through my 25 to my 11, and then AJ will do his honorable mentions, and then we'll start with our 10. Um, and at number 25, I have The Suicide Squad, which is a... Uh, Really just kind of fun comic book movie. Um, I didn't expect to like it as much as I did, um, but I enjoyed it. Am I going to return to it? Probably not. Did I enjoy it a lot? Yes. Um, number 24 is No Sudden Move, which is a heist film starring Don Cheadle, Benicio Del Toro, Brendan Fraser, Julia Fox, and several other people like Ray Liotta. I mean, you could go on and on with the cast. Um, directed by Steven Soderbergh. It was on HBO Max. This is probably one of the most underseen movies of the year. I thought it was really, really well done. Um, there were some kind of technical aspects that held it back, but overall, it's another movie that I just really enjoyed. Um, number 23 is Summer of Soul, the documentary made by Questlove. 
um, about a music festival. I thought that that was really, really good. I believe that's also on HBO Max. Um, number 22 is Zola, the A24. Um, Still haven't seen it. Insane odyssey of drug-fueled mayhem and stripping mayhem and very... Um, I thought the movie was really funny. It's not something that I'll probably revisit anytime soon, um, but I enjoyed it. It's on the Voodoo account if you want to watch it, AJ. At some point. Okay. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was very, very good, um, but it's not a movie that I'm going to really revisit anytime soon, and I think the ending is very wonky and weird. The movie just kind of ends. Um, number 21 is Boiling Point, which is the one-take um, kind of kitchen nightmare hellish... One of the most, like, just straight-up upsetting movies that I saw this year. Um, it's about a kitchen crew that is basically on the busiest night of the year. Um, and it's just one take here at this entire kitchen and kind of, like, them trying to, like, fulfill the guests and make these orders and food and stuff like that. Um, it's a lot more tense than... It, it sound. If you ever worked in the restaurant, if you ever worked in the restaurant industry, um, it's a pretty good snapshot <laughs> of how fucking awful that is. Um, number twenty is Drive My Car, which is a three-hour slow burn film from Japan. Really enjoyed that one. But probably won't be revisiting it anytime soon, so that's why it's not higher on the list. Number nineteen is Minari, which I thought was a very, very um, interesting kind of snapshot of uh, Korean life and immigrant life in the United States. Um, lots of really, really great performances in that one, like Stephen Ewing, people know from Burning and The Walking Dead. Um, pretty solid overall. Number 18 is The Tragedy of Macbeth, which is the Coen Brothers, um, Denzel Washington, Francis McDormand film that's on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, really good overall. Not as um, good as I think you would expect from it being a Coen film. I don't um, even know what the, the first Tragedy of Macbeth is. It's just Macbeth, like the Shakespeare uh, story. Okay. Good. Um, probably really, really well made technically, but the Shakespearean aspect of it all kind of makes it impossible for me to revisit. Plus, Apple TV Plus does not want me to sign up for their services. It is the biggest clusterfuck horrible service out there. Um, number 17 is Paul Schrader's The Card Counter, starring uh, Oscar Isaac and Willem Dafoe. I thought this movie was really, really good. Um, anything made by Paul Schrader is going to be just a depraved, fucked up movie that I can kind of sit in and, and, uh, they're not enjoyable films, but they're, there's a kind of very depressing nature to them that, uh, and very violent nature to his movies that is somewhat calming. It feels very realistic. Um, First Reformed, I think, is still probably one of his better films. Um, this isn't as good as that, but still a really, really solid performance by Oscar Isaac and the supporting cast all around. Um, number 16 is The Night House, uh, directed by David Bruckner, who did The Ritual, which is a movie that a yeah, ton of people saw yeah, um, starring Rebecca Hall. It's kind of amazing to me that this movie isn't in award consideration. I think Rebecca Hall gives one of the best performances of the entire year. Um, easily would be in my top five leading actresses. Um, there's some other really, really good supporting cast. This movie was just really solid overall. Um, I could definitely see this going up upon rewatches um, and, and just thinking about it over time. Number 15 is The Green Knight, the David Lowry A24 epic um, Wrong which was ranking. my first, which was my first film that I saw in theaters after returning um, from the pandemic. Really enjoyable. Um, there's some kind of pacing issues that I have with this movie, but I think the performances across the board are really good. 
it's another movie that I'm surprised. I would love to swap it for the spot that Dune has as far as award consideration of being kind of the technical darling of the year. Um, Dev Patel should be nominated for an Oscar. Alicia Vikander should be all nominated for an Oscar. Um, and also, it's a Christmas movie, which is interesting. Number 14 is Malignant, which is the most batshit fucking crazy film I've seen this year. Um, just like the ultimate arrow video film of all time of just campy bullshit. Um, I don't want a sequel to it, but just if we could have one movie that's like this per year, I would love that. Um, number 13 was uh, Candyman, which is a horror film directed by Nia DaCosta starring Yaya Abdul-Mateen. Um, a really, really good kind of remake sequel of a film about um, generational kind of hatred and the perception of Black America. Um, it's also maybe the best comic book movie released this year um, because it kind of operates more as a superhero origins than anything else. Um, number two, but it's not scary. Um, number 12 is The Last Duel, which is a Ridley Scott um, film directed, or yeah, directed by Ridley Scott starring Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, Adam Driver. Um, very, very good, very difficult to watch. Um, not necessarily enjoyable, but definitely the better of the two Ridley Scott films um, that released this year. And that's on, that's not streaming on HBO Max now. So if you have that, you should check that movie out. Not that many people saw it. And my number 11 is Bo Burnham's Inside the Netflix comedy special that released earlier in the year. Um, the reason why it's not any higher is because I genuinely don't really know if this is a movie or a comedy special. So putting mm -hmm. it in the list feels a little weird, um, but people should absolutely see it. And it would still be my number 11 um, as far as just quality. So um, those are that. I'm also going to just go ahead and shoot out some TV shows that I thought were really, really good just really, really quickly. Um, number six, Invincible, which is the um, animated comic book film or comic book series um, that is on Amazon Prime. I thought that this was everything that The Boys has not been. Um, I followed the comic book series whenever I was a kid because I was really into Walking Dead whenever I was like 12 or whatever. Um, and so <laughs> I, I was interested in that. We always have to piss or fart or sneeze at least once per <laughs> pod. So um, number five would be Yellowstone, which is the Kevin Costner Paramount TV show. Um, I've only seen the first season of it, uh, starting the second season. Um, pretty good so far. Not necessarily um, something that I thought would be my cup of tea, but I thought it was really, really solid. Number four would be Squid Game. That movie really doesn't need any introduction. Um, Battle Royale is one of my favorite films of all time, so if you just take that concept and twist it slightly, I will always be down for that. Number 13 is Smiling Friends, the um, hellscape-ish uh, Adult Swim TV show. Um, definitely the best animated show that I've seen this year. I really, really enjoyed that. Um, I'm going to throw in Beef House with that as well, which is the new Tim Heidecker show that's kind of a parody of Full House and Two and a Half Men. Um, I think a lot of those episodes are up on YouTube, or a lot of the clips are up on YouTube, um, so you should be able to pretty easily watch those, and I, I think they're also on HBO Max, um, since a lot of the Cartoon Network and Adult Swim stuff goes there. Um, my number two is Underground Railroad, which is a TV show on Amazon Prime that is made by Barry Jenkins, who directed Moonlight. Um, really, really, really solid, really brutal, violent TV show. Um, but one of the most important things that's released this year, um, I wish more people had seen it. I think it's kind of a landmark achievement in television up there with stuff that I watched, like True Detective and um, 
Watchmen and Chernobyl and shows of that caliber. Number one, shout out True um, Detective. True Detective's great. Um, number one is a uh, show that I don't know if you've actually seen, but it's on Netflix. Um, it is Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass. He's the guy who made uh, The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Blind Manor. He also directed uh, Doctor Sleep. This is his best work by a country mile. Um, Midnight Mass is, is probably the best show I've seen since, um, I don't know, pro- probably since True Detective, honestly, um, or Breaking Bad or something like that. I thought Midnight Mass like, was extraordinary. Do you feel like Haunting a Blind Manor was kind of like mid? Mid. I think that show was a little underwhelming. I thought Haunting a Hill House was really good, um, but Midnight Mass is, is easily his best work by far. And I Mine. think the way it ends fixes literally every problem I had with Haunting a Hill House when that show came out is fixed in Midnight Mass. The acting is better. Everything about it is better and on a grander scale. Um, if I was going to recommend it, something to anybody, probably from this year, it would be Midnight yeah. Mass. That I mean, if we were mixing in TV shows and movies, that Midnight Mass would be in the top three without any any thought really at all. Um, those are my honorable mentions. I'll go ahead and let you get started with your honorable mentions and then you can give your number 10. I have three honorable mentions. Yeah. So my top honorable mention has to be Shang-Chi. Um, did not think it was going to be that good of a Marvel movie, but, you know, it was a little better than I thought it was going to be. For sure. Up a little bit, honey. What do you think of them 10 rings? Them 10 rings, they hit. He just shot them off like he shot them off like a little like a little spring. What's like, your thoughts on Harry Styles in the uh, Marvel Universe now? The fuck are you talking about? <laughs> That's the end of Eternals. Are you serious? I'm not joking. I told you I had Eternals. Spoil spoiler alert: Eternals not on this list. One I told of the worst you I movies. I hadn't of the watched year. Eternals, and you didn't believe me. I didn't. So I think you said, "I'm going to try to find the clip on the pod of you saying I've seen Eternals, or I went to the theater to go see Eternals." All right. What's your other two honorable mentions? <laughs> Sorry, I just shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my other other honorable mention. Okay, hold on. You even let me finish with Shang Chi. I was gonna say, what do you, what do you think would happen if he put the ten rings on his cock? It'd be a much different film. (laughs) That's for sure. Give us a rated R Marvel film. They should have done it with Blade, but I guess they're not going to. Marvel's so fucking stupid that they didn't even realize that they already cast him Hershala Ali as in fucking Luke Cage as a villain. Okay, anyways. They're like, oh, I guess the other, be Blade now. The other honorable mention would have to be Don't Look Up. Um, I think we're kind of similar in our ratings on that. Like, I don't think you had it as an honorable mention, but... Fuck no. I didn't watch as many <laughs> I, I didn't watch as many movies as you, so it was kind of pulling from I don't think there's that many people on planet Earth that did. 
Um, I don't think there's that many people, period, that watch as many movies as, as I did. Because that's called mental illness. I don't know if you'll agree, but from my kind of take on it is it wasn't necessary, but it got the point that it was trying to say across. I think it was good. I enjoyed watching it. I just don't think it really says anything that if you're not... That hasn't already been said. If you're not incredibly liberal and basically locked out of the ecosystem of what's happening in the world, then you're, this movie isn't going to reveal anything to you that you don't know. But as far as just like kind of a cultural flashpoint for the year, I think it's good. I think it's like, I mean, there's very, very few movies this year that have like sparked any debate at all or any interest, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's nice to have, I mean, it's what, this and Spider-Man? And those are the movies that people are talking about. No one's talking about a lot of the shit that's going to be in our top ten, you know? Or those movies came and came and went extremely quick. I mean, Zola was like an internet kind of phenomenon when it first came out, but then no one was talking about it. I mean, if you want to talk about the three movies that are really the ones that people are talking about, it's The Green Knight and Spider-Man and Don't Look Up. Yeah. And those are those are so, the big three. My third honorable mention would have to be. I don't know. It no, never mind. It's not honorable. I'm deleting it. <laughs> well, what what was it gonna be? <laughs> it was gonna be Godzilla versus Kong. With the <laughs> hey, that's it all you gotta say. say. It was entertaining, but... It was entertaining. I gave it, like, a two. I thought it was okay. Yeah, it was all right. So. All, all right, what's your number ten? Top ten, or am I starting? You're going to go first. Well, already ranking it higher than you did, I'm number ten is Malignant. <laughs> I, I was wondering if that would show up at some point on your list, because I was like, yeah, definitely like this movie in a very unironic way I think, it took me a little bit to get around to I think I'm gonna like rewatch it and probably rank it higher honestly I don't I think it's like, like I, I get a lot of the I understand a lot of the hate that it gets but it's, I don't I think it's so obviously over the top and like batshit crazy that it's like almost hard not to respect it well, the pro- okay, so I'm what I'm feeling like is the reason behind the hate is because I think the way the trailer was set up or whatever media was around it is that people went into that movie just expecting a normal horror film. I think people expected like The Conjuring or Insidious. Right. And the problem with the problem with a lot of the fucking movies that came out this year is film goers are stupid as fuck is something that I've kind of learned. Because, like, if you're going to go see an A24 film, why are you not expecting it to be slow? Mm-hmm. You know? There were a lot of people that I know that saw Green Knight, and they're like, why was this not basically the gladiator? And it's like, it's not what the fuck yeah. these movies are, dumbass. And it's like, Malignant's the same thing. Like, it's... From the opening, you know this movie's gonna be fucking stupid. You know? <laughs> Like, it's dumb as shit. It's like, it's like, 
but I can absolutely see Malignant becoming like a cult classic that we look at as one of the most important movies of the year. You know, possibly. It's it's impressive. I mean, like it's 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 impressive that he was able to get a big studio to release his film theatrically and on a streaming service with that much promotion. And I mean, Malignant was like a big kind of cultural moment for a minute of people just being like, you have to see this fucking movie. I remember work at work and stuff. People were like, Malignant is fucking batshit. And people were talking about it. Like, you have to see well, this fucking movie. Well, wasn't it a James Wan film? And people, people would be like, yeah, it was James Wan. And I think yeah, it's the I best mean, thing he's made. Yeah, but like... I think I other than maybe Conjuring 2 is the best thing he's made. I don't think he would yes, have but, I mean, releasing it. But we're saying that about filmmakers like Barry Jenkins who are making an Amazon show for... You know what I mean? Like... Right. That should, those are guys that should be able to make anything. I mean, to be fair, James Wan kind of got a blank check from doing Aquaman, but it's like, you know, there's a lot of filmmakers that you would think, oh, well, they shouldn't have any problem getting their film financed. And it's like, I mean, just look at the landscape of film. You know, there's there's a ton of movies that came up this year that feel like COVID productions, you know? I mean, The Tragedy Dude, of Macbeth is a movie the... that we made for... The Tragedy of Macbeth was a movie that was made for like a million dollars or whatever. And, you know, has a Coen Brothers movie ever been made for less than one million dollars? Has it? No. Like, that's the thing. Like, you would assume that people would just be like, here's the money. Go for it. But it's like the last two Coen Brothers movies were Buster Scruggs, which is considerably smaller scale than anything they'd made before. And then Tragedy of Macbeth, which is considerably smaller scale than anything that they had made before. You know what I mean? With, that, with the exception of, like, Blood Simple, which is their first film, so that makes sense, you know? Right. But as films struggle to make money, unless they're a comic book movie, or something tied to IP, like a sequel or whatever, you know, if you're not Fast and Furious as a superhero movie, you're not going to win shit, or you're not going to make much money. You know, it's it's bewildering to me that something like House of Gucci has made a hundred million dollars. I mean, you look at that movie and it's made a hundred million, and then you look at the Last Duel and it struggled to make ten. So mm-hmm. I think *Malignant* kind of a kind of a feat. I mean, it's not shocking that whenever film is struggling, that people turn to horror. You know, as right. as a way to resuscitate it. But you know, I think *Malignant's* great. I think it's. I mean, if there was, like, there's a couple of movies on here on my list, personally, that I'm like, I could see that shooting up. You know what I mean? I could see The Green Knight being a movie that I revisit around Christmas and really liking more and more over time. I could see Malignant being, you know, shooting up and being a movie that I watch around October as just, like, a dumb, like, oh, my God, you haven't seen that? You need to watch this. I think, so. yeah. I also I'm think there's, like, the genuinely, there's, there's, like, stuff that, like, points towards like genuine craftsmanship and malignant where it's like you know that's the action scenes are like genuinely well shot and the scenes where she's in her house and it's like the camera's floating over the top like that shit that was just yanked straight out of hereditary it takes craft to do that you know yeah so as bad shit and stupid as it is like i don't think that just because it's dumb doesn't mean that there's any credibility i mean look at m night Shyamalan films you know they're dumb as shit, but we like them. So, right. Was there anything else that you had to say about *Malignant*? I kind of, I kind of stole your thunder a little bit. No, I, 
I just think it's it's one of those movies that you it's like yeah you should watch that for twenty twenty. One thing I'll say: lesbian lesbian murder montage. Uh, um, yeah. The prison scene. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> one of the most unironically funny things I've seen all year. Um, my number ten is a film on Netflix called The Lost Daughter. This is the directorial debut of Maggie Gyllenhaal, who people will know as um, Rachel from The Dark Knight. Um, I really enjoyed this movie and thought it was like a really interesting thriller. It's starring Olivia Coleman and uh, Dakota Johnson. And um, it's about a woman who is kind of struggling with her past as a parent and is on vacation and sees another woman struggling as... Um, a, a parent and it kind of goes back and forth um between certain timelines it's very gone girl-esque in its presentation um but is a film that is like brutally honest um in its portrayal of being a parent and things of that nature it also has like the most heart fucking breaking scene i've seen this year um which is a scene with jesse buckley that I won't spoil for people who haven't seen it. Um, yep, don't spoil. Absolutely, ab- absolutely love this fucking movie. I think it's one of the best of the year. Um, very surprised that this is not just an absolute front runner for awards consideration, but I'm assuming that's because that many people didn't see it. Um, I want to see what Maggie Gyllenhaal does next because um, I just think, as far as a film debut. <laughs> This is a fucking strong, strong, strong debut. It's very, very rare that you get film debuts that are this strong. Um, there will be some others on the list much higher, but um, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was really, really solid overall. Would highly recommend it. It's on Netflix um, currently. What's your number nine? My number nine, um, staying within the genre, is Candyman. Nice. Yeah. Hell yeah. Remember when you went and saw that and then we made a podcast episode that was like 30 minutes? It was awesome. It was great. It was a great, yeah, it was a great experience because you went to go see it because you're like, this will be shit. And I really thought it didn't know anything about it. Dog shit. Yeah. It was like whenever we went to go see Slender Man, we just went, so we were like, fuck it, I'm bored. Slender Man was 10 times worse. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, I mean, that was the same perception going into it. It's like, this is going to be bad. I was a little bit higher hopes about it. But, uh, because I knew that Jordan Peele had produced it and done some writing on it. Stuff like that, so. Um, what, why is, why is Candyman so high on your list? What, what were the things that really stood out to you about it? Oh, I mean, just, they kind of took the whole, uh, original, they, they didn't like remake it. They took what was good from the original and they kind of made like a current story based off of a continuing story on Candyman. So I was like, okay, that's cool that they didn't completely remake anything or make some new I think the random most, story about it. I think the performances in Candyman are really solid on top of the writing and just kind of the, the technical craft. Um, it's a movie that I own on 4K, so I, I like it a lot. Um, but uh, it's like 
it feels very modern and what it's saying and its themes. Yeah, I think um, the message is an important piece behind it. And I think I think Candyman to me is like a perfect like if you have someone who's like oh, I don't want to watch horror movies because they're scary or whatever. I think mm-hmm. Candyman is a perfect is like a perfect fucking gateway into horror films because it's it's scary enough, but it's not like you know it's not awful. like trying to do extreme jump scares it's, or anything. Yeah, it's not, and it's it's violent enough, but it's not Saw. You know, and it has great mm-hmm. performances, but it's it's not hereditary where it's this abstract, you know, thing that's a whole other thing. Like to me, I think I think Candyman is it feels like a fucking superhero origin story for it a lot of does, different yeah. reasons. Um and it you know, but it has a nice twist on it. It has I mean, I thought the movie was really good. I was kinda blown away with it when I saw it first and uh I think um yeah, yeah, Abdul Mateen, who's the main actor, and I think his ceiling is is really, really high. I, I, I have him up there as one of the kind of generational talents of this of this kind of new class of actor up there with um, guys like Robert Pattinson. So I just I think mm-hmm. he's so good. I don't know that he's I don't know that his stock is as high as someone like a Daniel Kaluuya, or right, you know, um, Mahershala Ali. But I think it's pretty fucking close. And I think that his name isn't mentioned as much as those guys, probably because it's hard for people to pronounce. But uh, I had first seen him in Watchmen and, and the TV show and really, really liked him in that. So, um, And he was in the most recent Matrix movie. He's going to be in more stuff coming up. Um, Wasn't yeah, he I like think he's, I think he's brilliant. Morpheus? Yeah, he's, he played Morpheus in, Matrix, in the new Matrix Resurrections or whatever it's called. What happened to the other guy? He just didn't do it. <laughs> Why? I don't know. What? Um, I watched Major Resurrections. I thought it was good, but I just I'm trying to remember his name, but I can't. Lawrence Fishburne. Yes. Lawrence Fishburne. He'll take he'll take the fucking John Wick check, but won't take the the Matrix one. I don't know. Maybe they just didn't ask him back. I mean, it kind of makes. I don't want to spoil anything from the movie because it it makes sense why he's not in it. But like, oh dang! Oh, never mind. Don't don't tell me. Yeah, it, it makes sense, but it, it's not something that I don't know. It's interesting. Matrix Resurrection is one of the most interesting what the fuck movies I've seen all year. Like that's it's Malignant's number one, and then Matrix Resurrections is number two, and maybe even beats Malignant in certain aspects of being a like what the fuck movie. I still am. I have no idea what to, to make of that movie. Okay. Um, number nine is another film that you can watch on Netflix. It's The Power of the Dog, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, directed by Jane Campion. Um, this is kind of the perceived best picture front runner. Um, excellent performances across the board. Obviously, Kristen Dunst is going to be nominated, and Cody Smith, who I think, in some ways, kind of steals the film. But I think Benedict Cumberbatch drives the film home. Um, and is, is one of the best performances of the year. This is a movie that is better known if you just go into it completely blind and have no fucking mm-hmm. idea what you're watching. Um, I would will absolutely not work for will not work for some people. Um, is very very slow and kind of takes time to reveal itself. It's not an action packed film at all, but um, and it kind of moves more like a play than it does a movie. But I think it's ex- extraordinary. There's a scene in there that is just god tier. Um, 
and a lot of the theming in there and obviously the Johnny Greenwood score is the music in the movie is like on another fucking level. Um, this will not be the only time that I mentioned Johnny Greenwood in the pod because there's another movie that has another that's scored by him um, later on on my list. But yeah, I love I love Power of the Dog. I thought it was really, really, really good. It kind of floored me in a way. So um, what is your number nine? Or number number eight, eight, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of funny because uh, my number eight is the power of the dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if I would change the thoughts that you had on it. Uh, just maybe add on like after I was after I finished watching that movie, there's just a, a a period of time where I was just kind of like sitting there just thinking about what happened. Um, yeah, because it takes a minute. It's a it's a very like reflectionary film, um, and it, it kind of it, re- it it's a movie that kind of rewards you the more thought you put into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I really I really really liked it. I don't know that it's a movie that I'll revisit, but it's it's one of those movies that to me kind of shouts like Criterion Collection. It's a film that possibly yeah you would like you would probably like watch once and really love and maybe revisit year over year and it would grow in your estimation but upon a first watch you wouldn't really know what to make of it i kind of i do kind of lump it in with stuff like um i mean it's a jane campion film but it, it does remind me of stuff like uh the first time that i saw being john malkovich or taste the cherry where there's certain aspects of the movie where you're like oh i didn't know that you could do that <laughs> you know um, it's a film that we're, we're, in all honesty, we're probably underrating how good it actually is. Possibly. But, um, no, I, I loved, I love Power of the Dog. I think it's great, one of the best movies of the year for sure. Um, my number eight is No Time to Die. Um, this was one of my most anticipated movies going into the year because it was the final Daniel Craig James Bond film. Had a lot of people that I was big fans of. Um, I think Anna de Armas kind of steals the show for the scene that she's in. Um, just a really fun action film that, you know, doesn't take itself too serious, is really well-paced despite its kind of three-hour runtime, close to three-hour. Um, some of the best action scenes of the entire year, if not the best action scenes of the entire year. Actually, yeah, I would say I would say just straight up the best action scenes of the year. Um, and And, like does a lot of stuff with the James Bond character that, like, just quite frankly, a lot of franchises are not willing to do. Um, it's a very, very bold movie, and I kind of didn't expect anything less from the director. The director's Kerry Joji Fukunaga, who did the first season of True Detective and did Beast of No Nation, some of my favorite films in the last decade. Um, and I, I just thought it was really bold. I thought it was really, really solid. Um, and every performance and it's good um, it's another movie that like honestly I could definitely see if I'm like doing reruns or, or watching the Daniel Craig Bond films and going back through them I could absolutely see this one growing in my estimation I don't think it's as good as Skyfall um, I mean that movie is just goaded but um, mm-hmm. I do think it's I, I think it's really really solid I won't do anything to convince people who aren't named Bond fans to love it but it's it's you know it's a <clears throat> kind of does the same thing that Spider-Man does of like honoring the past of this film franchise and also moving it forward in a really interesting way. 
Um, it also has, if you've seen the ending of the movie, probably the boldest decision I've seen in a movie um, within the last five to ten years. Um, okay. I thought it was really, really good. Really, really solid overall. I think it's, I think it's almost worth watching just for how bold it is with two, two decisions that it specifically makes. Alrighty. That's all I gotta say about Bond. Loved okay. it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. I'll have to rewatch the Bond series and I'll maybe let you know. Yep. You're number seven. My number seven happens to be the last duel. Woo. Yeah. Exciting. That's interesting. That's interesting that you have the exact order. Your ten is malignant, your nine is candyman, your eight power the dog and then your number seven is the last duel three of those movies that i have in my honorable mention one <laughs> and every every single one of those you have slightly higher than i do yeah so it kind of goes to show i, I feel like we're well, getting more divided as we watch more stuff maybe i, I don't it actually makes the show I mean, more interesting you definitely watched more so i feel like you have more to put from the start of your list, so it's like kind of. I think so, but I think our, but our top five is also going to be drastically different. There's a, there's movies that right. I have in my honorable mentions that you have higher because you just genuinely like them more. I think that you genuinely enjoyed Candyman more. I think you enjoyed Malignant more. I think you enjoyed the last the last duel. You definitely liked more than me, um, although I really really did like it. But I'm um, pretty glad that you recommended that because i honestly probably wouldn't have watched it because just from looking at it it looks like some shitty movie it looks like it looks shit like... until you realize <laughs> i know like oh yeah ridley scott directed this and he's one right. of the best filmmakers ever it, it um, the, although he's the cover of it <laughs> yeah the it's fucking it looks hard so i mean we talked about it whenever we watch or whenever we talked about the movie on i think the last episode which was like right i don't even know how the fuck you market this movie like, I, I don't know how you exactly you so it's don't. like no shit no one saw it like yeah it's, <laughs> it's the ultimate film that should have just been on netflix you know right if you swap if you swap this and don't look up you know what i mean like and and the last duel comes out on christmas and everyone can watch a film starring adam driver and ben affleck and matt damon on netflix like that movie does a million times better than it well, I think the name too. I think the naming yeah. of the movie, because like, it well, it's hard to sell people general. on general. It, it's hard to sell people on like medieval shit in right. general, that's unless it's weird, Game of Thrones or or Lord of the Rings. That's super weird that you say that because I talked to someone and they said the exact same thing. They were like, "I'm not really into medieval stuff," and I was like, "Huh? I'm not either." I'm not either. I don't like this shit. I don't like medieval shit, but whenever it hits, it fucking hits. Right. So, okay. I think Green Knight's a great example of that, of like a movie that, like, you know, I don't like that shit, but like, it it works pretty fucking well. Also, Last Duel has just some of the greatest performances of the year, like, just nonstop. That's another one that I'm like, I'm I'm surprised it's not higher up. You know what I mean? Right. 
Anything else you want to say about that one? I mean, the the last the the titular last duel that occurs in the last duel is also up there with like No Time to Die as far as like action scenes that were just like holy fuck. That movie's brutal. Last yeah. duel is fucking. I mean, if there's one word for it, it's brutal between the action scenes and the dimensions of the character and everything that happens. Also, Jodie Comer, who I don't even think we've mentioned yet. I mean, what the fuck? Nominate her. Right. One of the best performances of the year. For sure, for sure. I just want to know why um, Driver is always the bad guy. He's not always the bad guy. In a lot Marriage of story. popular movies. In a Marriage lot of the story, mainstream stuff he does. Marriage, Marriage Story, story and like that, they're both negatively portrayed. Yes and no. I think he's just, he's really good at being unlikable. You're right. I mean, when he's screaming at a black man in a car and black plans, and I'm never like, oh, that's a good dude. <laughs> that's You're a like, good guy he there. Wasn't, hey, he was, it's like a little known movie fact that he wasn't acting. They just caught him. No. They just caught him while he yeah. was offset. And Spike Lee said, like, good fucking take. He's like, hey, let's film that. Adam Driver protects him. One of our one of our great film treasures of the past. Yeah. I mean he you talking about generation. You know what's funny too? What's funny is I first saw him in Star Wars. I don't think Star Wars was the first thing I saw him in. I don't know what I first saw him in. I first um, saw him in Star Wars, so like seeing him in all probably the stuff is like Whoa. I had probably a pretty negative perception of him whenever he started acting because he was in like a Lena Dunham TV show called Girls. It was on HBO Max. And I had some like, I had some awareness of him in that show. But I wasn't, I didn't watch the show and I also like didn't really follow him. And then obviously Star Wars blew his career up beyond belief. And then he's been in a thousand things since then. So, right. um, I think, yeah, his career is interesting to watch because he, he definitely does kind of go between like, the marriage stories and smaller films like that in the Star Wars bigger scale stuff. So he also had House of Gucci. He was like one of the best parts of that movie. So um, I don't, I don't, yeah. I didn't really have an interest in watching that. But if I mean, if you convinced me, it's a Ridley Scott film. Mm. He directed. He directed Last Duel. I think House of Gucci is really long. It's like three hours long. But it's a movie that you will either really, really like or dislike. And there's pretty Kinda much like no Spencer. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, my number seven is Red Rocket, the uh, Sean Baker-directed uh, film starring Simon Rex about a um, failed... Well, I don't even want to say failed because they kind of leave that ambiguous. But um, a porn star who returns to his small town in Texas and discovers a underage girl who he thinks he can make porn with and then become a big star. Um, this is a deeply somewhat problematic movie, but the movie never attempts to not be that. It's a pretty excellent portrait of just a massive piece of shit, and it is one of the most darkly comedic movies I've seen in a very, very long time. If you've lived in the Midwest, you know how fucked a lot of the people around here are, and this is a brilliant um, kind of portrait of that. But it's it's more than that. It's kind of a heartbreaking tale about how people 
use and manipulate people and also the system within itself. There's multiple shots of Trump giving speeches on TV um, oh. that people are just watching. So it's, it's really kind of a, a snapshot of people um, being manipulated by a system that's really fucking them over and also being manipulated by people who are fucking them over, which is what the movie's mostly about. Um, there's a really interesting plot twist about two-thirds of the way through the movie that made it um, way more batshit to watch. I really want to revisit this one. Um, I just haven't had the time to, and I've been trying to watch more and more new stuff and more stuff that I didn't get the chance to watch. Um, Simon Rex is one of the best performances of the year. People will know him from Scary Movie 3, I think was the one that he was in. Um, but yeah, just excellent. It's kind of in that this and Uncut Gems are kind of like the two um, A24, like, here's a portrait of a piece of shit. Um, That's an A24 you know, movie? Yeah, Red Rocket's an A24 film. His previous film, oh, um, okay. The Florida Project, was also a A24 film as well. Um, I think Florida Project's a little bit stronger because it has more of an emotional punch to it. But I really, I liked Red Rocket a lot. I thought it was, I thought it was really, really solid. All right. Our final one before we get into the top five. What's your number six, my boy? My number six is Judas and the Black Messiah. Damn. Yeah. You have that. I know. A little bit lower than me. Just a little bit. So, I mean, if I had to, you know, go over it. We went over it before, but... We did a Jesse whole episode Plemons. about it. Jesse Plemons, superb. Daniel Kaluuya, superb. Lakey Stanfield. Lakey Stanfield, superb. superb. Yeah. Maybe the best acted film of the year from an overall cast standpoint. Um, I feel like it's higher for me because it just, it's one of those movies. I, I don't know if they really have put out a ton of um, Black Panther content. I don't know if it has been put out. Like, a lot of it has been put out. And it kind of makes you... I feel like it's important just because it makes you go research this stuff. And, you know... I think it's a movie that, like... Go ahead. I was just going to say, in the movies, they're not always going to include everything. So, you want to do... You're always going to want to look up some stuff for yourself. I think Judas and Black Messiah is like an interesting movie. If you, spoiler alert, it's in my list later on. Um, I think if you were like, what's the most culturally prescient film that released in 2021? I think it's it's probably this. Um, it's a shame that it didn't receive the conversation from people who I think should have watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, my grandmother watched this movie. I made her watch it and she was like, holy fuck, this movie is incredible. Um, so I knew that she would like, she likes biopic type stuff. And everyone that I've shown the movie to loves it. I have it on Blu-ray. Um, I've watched it quite a few times. This was kind of the front runner for the majority of the year for me, as far as the best film of the year. Um, yeah, I, I love this movie. I think, I think Lakeith Stanfield gives a fucking incredible performance. Heartbreaking. I mean, this movie has the most heartbreaking now films end and they have the little titles that say what happened after the fact to everybody. This one has the most heartbreaking version of that ever. 
Um, and I think just a really deep, something that I miss and we'll probably get into this at some point and probably keep reiterating this is I miss movies that were made for adults. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been a couple of them this year. Um, you know, I think The Last Duel is a great example of a film made for adults. Um, for sure. Red Rocket is a great example of that as well. But a lot of these films feel more, I mean, the kind of mid-level Sicario, right, is the example we use a lot of movies that were made for 40 to $80 million and will maybe make $200 million and will be in a little bit of award consideration. But they're not indie films and they're not blockbusters. You know what I mean? They're not Avengers, but they're also not, you know, the lighthouse. Um, right. And that, that level of that, that mid level has just been completely fucking destroyed. I mean, that it doesn't exist, you know? Um, and in the, in the early 2010s, you saw comedies get eroded, but you know, movies like baby driver that are that mid level and mm-hmm. shape of water and Sicario and Wolf of Wall Street, you know, these are movies that have just been kneecapped, for lack of a better term. So, I don't know. I respect Judas and like I think it's also first-time <clears throat> director. The director, I'm looking at my Blu-ray copy. Um, Shaka King. Yeah, I don't think he'd ever, he directed, I think, one other movie before this um that i haven't seen but i'd be interested in seeing it um and i just think also like the score of like those fucked up jazz horns that come in chef's kiss um, yeah i think Jews was my size great um my number six is spider-man no way home um kind of the cultural phenomenon of the year if you haven't seen it you know tune out for a minute um maybe the best moment in a film all year when the other spider-man show up um well you didn't really give as big of a spoiler thing as you usually do it's been a it's been a month and it's it's the biggest movie (laughs) like i like i don't know what to tell you like if you're you know what i mean like if you haven't seen it at this point if you're clicking on this podcast and you see spider-man I mean, where, I don't who know are you? What to tell you? Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a fun movie overall. It, it, well, it's a mixed bag because it's fun, but it's it's also like you know a little bit more adult and depressing. Um, you know, I don't think it's the best Spider-Man movie. I don't even know if it is the second best Spider-Man movie. I think Into the Spider-Verse is still number two for okay. me. Um, and obviously, Spider-Man One is my favorite. Um, but I do think it's better than Spider-Man 2, and I do think it's better than the other ones that linger around. I think it's definitely better than the other Tom Holland movies. Um, and I said this in the review that I wrote on Letterboxd, but I guess I'll stay here. The MCU has been largely a fucking massive failure for me. Um, right. Because I just think that video games and, like, like I think Marvel Ultimate Alliance does the Civil War story better. I think there's comic book arcs that do it better. I think, you know... A lot of these stories have not been told in an interesting way that I personally feel fulfillment with. Um, aside from, I think, like, the first Iron Man was really good. And, you know, there are other ones that I enjoyed, like Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff like that. But 
it's it's been kind of mid-level like the top of the mcu is like well that was good three and a half or that was good for max mm-hmm. um and this is the first one that i feel really passionate about really enjoying and really loving but it's kind of a cultural landmark and does the story in an interesting and new way and is really really good i think benedict Cumberbatch again here is, is really really good um obviously i think andrew andrew garfield is like the fucking standout i think him and the foe right. are just on a different level i think tom holland also gives his best performance so far I think about William really Defoe. yeah i already i said william defoe i think william defoe is like okay. you know he's we've said multiple times that william defoe is the greatest actor to ever do it so um true i mean it's true, true, solid true. and just seeing and seeing toby mcguire and all those villains back is you know always fun i think alfred Molina's is really good in it you know i i love the movie i think it's really, really solid um I'll be buying it on Blu-ray. It's better than the other Spider-Man movie that came out this year, Venom 2. Um, That's what I liked. But, you know, it it was good. I I think Spider-Man No Way Home has problems. Um, There's a lot of inconsistency with it that doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, everyone forgot him, but the Spider-Man didn't forget him. Um, And then, like, you know, there's a lot of dumb shit that just is like, okay, that's weird. but uh, yes, it's still, still really, really solid overall. Um, and and some of the best action scenes of the year, um, with the you know Batista bomb fight scene and the scene in the fucking That's hotel or whatever it is. Um, and I think you know just really solid overall. I mean, Spider Man. I don't know if you've listened to this podcast before. You know, I'm a big Spider Man fan, so uh, it shouldn't really come as a surprise at this point. A little biased, but we're it's all right. All right, time to get into the top five, my brother. Top five. Smoking on your top five tonight. 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 Shout out Kendrick. <laughs> all right, what's your number five, brother? Number five. Number five for me. Burger King foot lettuce. For me, it's gonna have to be the Suicide Squad. Damn, that high. Yeah. That's crazy. It is crazy. It's, uh, I think I read it at four and a half. So, same as Judas. But I just slightly put it higher on that list. Have um, you bought this movie on Blu ray yet? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a good um, test. Yeah. Oh, well, I guess I don't have, well, No Way Home just came out. So, that's why I don't have it. But, um, they, I think why I rated it so high is just from the absolute like turnaround that they did with that with that movie. From the original failure to, I mean, I guess listening to feedback is number one for me. So. That movie was kind yeah. of like a response movie. It was kind of like, hey, that movie sucked. Everyone knew it sucked. So here's this. I think it's like, so, it's definitely one of the most well-made comic book movies of the last couple of years. The thing that holds it back for me, honestly, is just the fact that there were other movies that did it better and there was just other stuff I saw this year that kind of eclipsed it. This year for me is kind of the encapsulation of like that was pretty good you know but not really right. thinking about it 
and I don't know that there's a movie that really encapsulates that more for me than Suicide Squad, but um, yeah, I thought it was really, really good. I, I, might, I might need to revisit it, honestly, because I think just watching so much stuff, it's easy for things to get lost in the shuffle. Um, and I do mm-hmm. really enjoy it. I, I, I did, I do think that I really, I had that one up pretty high whenever we were about midway through the year. And uh, there was just some other stuff that came out and some other stuff that I rewatched that snuck ahead of it. Um, my number yeah, five yeah. is a movie that I had as my, my front runner for a very, very long time. A movie that you uh, gave a one out of five to Spencer. <laughs> um, directed by Pablo Lorraine. Um, starring Kirsten Stewart. Um, I think this movie is it's part Shining, part Phantom Thread. Um, also has a Johnny Greenwood score. I think the best music of the year, maybe. Actually, there's another movie that'll come up later this in this conversation that I think has better music. Um, Spencer is is excellent. Yeah, it made me cry. I thought it was really really solid. The reason why it's not any higher is the ending is a little wonky. Um, but I think the performances really hammer home. I think the technical aspects like costuming and and just the way that it's shot, things like the aspect ratio were really interesting and i think it's a really interesting reflection of isolation and depression and a lot of the things that i personally was feeling in the middle of 2020 while we were going through the pandemic um and i think it's the best quote-unquote pandemic movie um is it the best movie of the year no what's number five um but I think it's it's really, really solid. And I think it, it has just a lot of merit. I think it's a really, really well-made technical film. Um, I do want to rewatch it because I saw it. I've seen it twice. I saw it once in theaters. And then I kind of half-watched it while I was falling asleep um, you know, at night. But uh, I, do, I do really want to revisit it. Go ahead. I just... I just farted. That's what I think of that movie. Oh, okay. Nice. <laughs> um, I'd be interested in talking talking to you about, about Spencer and why you hated it. Because we've never even had the discussion, but that'll be, that's a 30-minute conversation that'll happen yeah. at some point. So right now is the worst time to do that. As we right. kind of barrel through right. a lot of these. Right. What is your it's number not, four? All I have to say right now is ratio plus plus princess diana is british sure okay number four spider-man no way home i read it higher than you just like every comic movie yeah i have a you gotta speak up a little bit you're 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 you keep on lingering away from the mic how am i lingering away it's attached to my ears I don't know. Can you you just sound me? more and more quiet. Your speech. You're, Can you hear me you're doing now? the. Uh, you're doing a little. You're doing the thing when uh, in professional sports when somebody gets hurt and they. Oh my God! He's he might. This is a really horrible might, tragedy. Oh wow! Oh. Nine oh, eleven. Is he gonna make it? Is he gonna make it? This is oh, a really horrific oh. day in the in the history of this country. Uh, I'm sorry, but January I just feel 6th, like. <sighs> I feel like uh, I just enjoy more dumb, entertaining movies, I feel like, than critical film. 
if you would now. agree with that. I think you definitely you kind of see the technical merits, but are a little bit more interested in was this entertaining? Mm-hmm. You know, I think the movies that really peak for you are kind of the Mad Max Fury Road movies where they have a they have a bit of both, but are just so fucking bombastic in their, in their yes. spectacle that you're like, oh, I'm interested in that. There's the exceptions. I think a movie like Whiplash is, is a little, but you really fall into pacing as a thing. If a movie kind of lingers for you for a little bit, it's hard to. It's harder. You back in. I've noticed that. I've noticed that. Unless you re-examine the movie multiple times because you're interested in going back to it, but it has to really I'm, be something that triggers. I'm that dying. Movie. I'm dying to like insert Mad Max into any list that we create somehow. Are you gonna nominate I it for know. Classics Week? <laughs> Probably. Should we do that at the end of this episode? I think we should um, just to tease the next one. Yeah, we could like some ideas for that. I think yeah. I think when we get, I think once we're done with questions, we'll see what time we got. Uh, I don't know I'm if there's much that. more. There's much more to say on No Way Home besides Spider Man. They did. Yeah. They did what they did. What was what people wanted and and. It was a movie. I just think like, like it's it's exactly it's exactly what people expected going into it. You yeah. Know? Which yeah. is honestly why it's not higher on my list. Like because it was everything I expected it to be. There wasn't really anything that I was like because going into it, I'm like, they're just gonna leave it the exact same way that the PS4 Spider-Man left off. There is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just gonna be the same thing. Minus miles. But um spoiler for some I guess reason. for the PS4 game. Even though they have a Miles Morales Spider-Man game, so it's not really a spoiler. Um, that's weird how that works. Um, that is weird. Yeah, no, Spider-Man's Spider-Man, Spider-Man. I don't know. Like, if you go to an MCU movie, you kind of know what the fuck to expect. Um, a little less from the Sony ones that are a mix, you know. But mm-hmm. um, my number four is the French Dispatch. I think wow. that this movie is. Technical Marvel, it's really, really well made. The reason why it's not higher is because I think that third act is not as strong as the other two. Um, this is kind of a love letter to um, film history. And as things become more corporatized and we see some of our favorite directors getting less and less money to fund their projects, um, this feels like a necessary road to cross in film history. I've been a little bit hit and miss with Wes Anderson films. Um, there's ones that I love, like Life Aquatic and Moonrise Kingdom. And mm-hmm. then there's other ones that I feel a little lukewarm on, like the Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, I don't think this is his best film. I don't even know if it is his second best. I kind of lean more towards Real Royal Tenenbaums or Fantastic Mr. Fox as his second best. But it's definitely up in the upper echelon of his work. Um, this is kind of, for me where the four and a halfs that are bordering on being a five um, sit. There's not a single movie that I've given a five um, this year, um, which is a little underwhelming, because that means that's two years in a row that I haven't given a perfect score. Um, But I think French Dispatch is really, really good. I think a lot of the performances are really solid. Um, And I think it's it might be Wes Anderson's best to realize the... uh, Really enjoyed it. 
That's great. You're number three. I enjoyed it a little more than you, apparently. Yes. Um, my number three mm-hmm. has to be Bo Burnham's Inside. Damn, that's high. Yeah. We had a really lengthy discussion when this came out. Yeah, we did. Um, I think the, I don't the two that were lingering we were. around. Well, we were just talking about how good it is and how it represented COVID kind of mm-hmm. as a whole. I think the reason why it's not higher up on mine is because I think Spencer does a lot of those things better for me, personally. Okay. Um, but uh, I, well, keep, I, I revisit I, every, like, three months since it's come out. Every two months or whatever, I re I fall down the Bo Burnham rabbit hole again, and I just watch the entire thing front to back. I think it's pretty interesting the the amount of time it took, um, and it kind of shows he doesn't really uh, try to hide anything; just shows the entire aspect of filming himself. Um, I think it's more personal, or I think it's rated higher for me because it feels more personal. It's just like him filming himself. I think Bo Burnham's insight is interesting, not only in just its commentary and kind of what it devolves into. I mean, the first half is very much like a comedy special slash musical thing. And then the second half becomes much more introspective and kind of turns on itself. And reveals like what it is actually kind of speaking to. Yeah. Um. I think. I think it's uh, yeah. It's one of those ones, a lot like Power of the Dog, where I could just see like Criterion Collection announcement, and then people going back and revisiting it and kind of re-examining it as this cultural landmark achievement. Definitely one of the best things in Netflix released in their original catalog. Um, what's your favorite song from his oh. his special? Oh. Um, I think White Woman. I think mine are the Jeffrey Bezos interludes. Oh, really? Yeah. That are the most condescending thing I've, I've maybe ever seen in a movie. Like, just the biggest middle finger. Yeah. So I, I love those. I thought those were fucking hilarious. Um, anything else we want to add about Bo Burnham's inside? I'm curious to see what he does next. I'm curious if he'll actually direct the movie or go back to comedy. Um, I don't know. He kind of seems how, like how well this was received. Yeah, he kind of seems like he's uh. Like, he, he knows what he's wanting to do now, but. I'm so curious. I, I like, I have no idea what the fuck he can, what he's going to do next, which is always interesting to see. I think that was, uh, a, I think, well, I didn't, I'm not sure. What I was trying to say is that it kind of feel, it kind of feels like that's like a piece by itself. I don't, there's no way he will, uh. In my opinion, there's no way that he's going to recreate anything like that. No, it, it's it's definitely one of the more unique things I've seen this year, for sure. Um, yeah, I really, 
really, really loved uh, Bo Burnham Blue Side. That's, I mean, kind of for me, like the, the list begins with like Love It is around where the Night House is. I think everything mm-hmm. from the Night House down, you know, even if it's in my honorable mentions, are films that I love. And, and I mean, I own, I own Candyman on 4K, I own Green Knight on 4K, I own The Night House on Blu ray, you know? So they're all movies that I, I love in some sort of different way. I think what's interesting about this year too is is just the diversity of film. I think if you watch a lot of stuff that came out this year, whether it's Red Rocket or Spider-Man or Spencer or French Dispatch, Juice and the Black Messiah, some films we'll probably talk down later in the list. Um, it's impossible to not watch something and go, man, I really love that. You know? Yeah. Even stuff that isn't on our lists, like West Side Story and and on my list, don't look up, you know, like, I think those movies are really fucking good. So the problem, again, I, I go back to this and it sounds like I'm itching, which I kind of am, but I was just waiting for the one movie that was like, this is the clear best movie of the year, you know, but there's a lot of stuff on this list that I, I could definitely see myself revisiting and going, actually, that's probably, you know, within the best of the decade. Um, right. And for me, this is where this the conversation begins. Is my number three, Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, okay. I think this yep. is. I think this is the best biopic of the year. I think Lakeith Stanfield gives arguably the best performance of the year. I think Daniel Kaluuya deserved that fucking Oscar. Um, I even think some of the performances, like Dominique Fishback playing Fred Hampton's, you know love interests. Um, everything about this movie is firing on all cylinders. I love the music. I love the direction. I love the way that it's shot. It has this kind of murky, dark undertone of it. There's some things that don't work for me. There's a part in the movie where it kind of devolves into like an action film. Yeah. Sort of stuff felt a little unnecessary and weird. Um, there's some other things that they kind of cut out. Like, you know, Fred Hampton was a full-blown communist. He was not a socialist. Um, yeah. at least in his, in his viewpoints I mean he presented himself as a socialist but he, was a, he held communist views uh, so there's some things that are kind of you know weird about it I was pretty familiar with the Fred Hampton story before this and had read some certain things and was familiar with stuff around that era and a lot more with the Black Panther Party I think if I wouldn't have been I think this movie would be higher um but uh, yeah, definitely one of the most important films of the year. Probably the most just purely important film of the year. If someone asked me what's what's the movie that I should watch um, from this year, prob- mostly just because it's the most readily available film um, right. and easiest to find, it would it'd probably be Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, it would depend on who the person was. You know, I'm not going to recommend it to a conservative, but like, right? Judas and Black Messiah is a genuinely great movie. I don't know, Blu-ray. Um, I think it's staggering. I think that one's on HBO Max now at this point, too. It's on VOD services, and you can probably find the Blu-ray for relatively cheap. It's been out for a little while now. Um, yeah, absolutely adore that film. I think it's uh, really, really solid. I'm, I'm very curious to see what Shaka King does next, um, because I think he has a very, very high ceiling um, as far as a filmmaker. So I'm curious to see what his next film will be. Um, that he ends up doing. What is your number two? 
I have a feeling that I know this. I, I think I know your number two <laughs> and your number one. Go ahead. Uh, is your number is your number two the French Dispatch? Correct. Ta-da! You want to speak on that? Dispatch. Why you like it so um, much? You're definitely more in the. You love Wes Anderson more than me. You're definitely more yeah. sold on his style. I think it's. Uh, you said it wasn't. It wasn't his second best or whatever. Um, but I think it's up there, like for me, on Wes Anderson rankings. But it takes a Do you lot. You like it more than Life Aquatic? No. Do you like it more than Grand Budapest? Uh. No. Yeah, that's that's how I feel about is like Life Aquatic one, and then Little Ten and Bombs is kind of how I feel. How you feel about Grand Budapest is how I feel about well Little Ten and Bombs. Okay, let me reiterate. It's not as high, I guess. I still like it, but it. But he has. It's like. It's like Tarantino. It's like yeah. Is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood the best Tarantino movie? No, because I think Hateful Eight, which I'm in, a, I'm in my own camp, but I think Hateful Eight, which a lot of people think is his worst movie. I think Hateful Eight is my favorite, and or one of my favorites. I think, like, I like Jackie Brown a shit ton. I think there's elements of Kill Bill that are better. And I think Inglorious Bastards is maybe his best movie, you know? So Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would be his fourth. But, like, how many fucking five out of fives did Akira Kurosawa have. You know what I mean? Like, how many right. five out of fives did Alfred Hitchcock have? How many five out of fives does Christopher Nolan have? Or, or some of these directors. Some of these directors, they just come out with shit, and you're like, well, that's gonna be fucking good. You know? Like, it doesn't right. matter. It's David Fincher is a great example. Mank is, like, my least favorite Fincher movie. It was my number two favorite film of last year. You know? So, like, I don't think, I don't think the arbitrary ranking of things means anything. I think sometimes people just fire on all, all cylinders. Your favorite thinking, album of the year uh, is Donda. It's, it's definitely not your favorite Kanye record. It's probably not even your top five. Right. I'm thinking that, um, I mean, it's un- it has its own category for me just because it, uh, I think it t- takes a lot of aspects from uh, anim- animation styles and like it combines what you like about from just live action Wes Anderson and then uh, some artistic styles from, you know, Isle of Dogs and Fantastic Mr. Fox. There's different things that I think it combines a little bit of that. So it's definitely a unique Wes Anderson film. I think it's definitely like, and the reason why it works so well for me is that that Wes Anderson sheen is, is a very thin veil that works or it doesn't. I think it's something like Mr. Fox, it works. I think it's something like, you know, but if you see the cracks for a minute, it, it reveals itself. And I think, I think Grand Budapest is a great example of that for me, where like that film shows its cracks yeah. too, too many times. And I think West, I think French Dispatch is the greatest example of a film that feels like, I don't, you know, sometimes you see a movie and you're like, okay, I feel like the, the director would have done things different, right? Like, this was not exactly what they saw in their head. And then there's other movies like No Country for Old Men or, you know, I think Blade Runner 2049 or The Social Network where it's like 
they would pro that director would probably not fix a single thing about the movie. And I think yeah. that's French Dispatch. I think that's the most I've felt that way with Wes Anderson, where I'm like, if he could fix anything in this movie, he probably wouldn't fix anything, including the third act, which I'm a little bit less positive on. Um, I still love it. I still think the third act is like an 8 out of 10, but it does dip. I think the first two acts are 10s, and then it sinks a little bit. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I guess I'll ask you, because this is always the most interesting part of a Wes Anderson movie. Who's your favorite character? And then um, what was your favorite of the three, I guess, kind of plots moving along? Um, let's see. My favorite character was Benicio Del Toro. That's the same. I f what would be your number two? Because I feel like that's where – I feel like everyone <laughs> loves Del Toro in the movie. I feel like he's like, incredible. Uh, I was really blown number... away with Timothy Chalamet in that movie. I I am very mixed on him, but I thought he was incredible in it. I was like, damn, this is good. I think my number two has to be the short feature of Owen Wilson on the bike. I love that part too. I think that part <laughs> is so good. I love um, it, and I, I think I think Bill Murray in the movie is incredible too because I've I've worked for people that are like that, so it. I think the movie hits different too if you just have worked in the news media, yeah, cycle. Um, it just it's very heartwarming. If I ever am like, man, I miss my fucking like I feel nostalgic about like, um, you know, my days writing and shooting camera work and stuff like that is like a post log and all that shit like the first movie i run to is french dispatch absolutely right. there's nothing even close to it i mean I, I guess i could put on nightcrawler but uh french french dispatch is the one that is, it feels like that it feels cozy it feels like a family not even in just the way that it's but you know in the way that different people write and different people right you know shoot film and stuff like that so i i love that movie i i think it could definitely shoot up upon re-examination for me um really my top four are the ones that i'm like yeah i mean these ones could upon rewatch and rewatch and rewatch like just become undeniable classics for me or even become like you know top 10 movies of all time for me just kind of based on where they sit um yeah i love french dispatch what you like the first act the, the most right the first the uh, jail story uh yeah for sure yeah, I do. I do too. I think, um, and Leia Sedu, who uh, is the Samoan character, mm -hmm. really fucking good. Like, really, really solid. She's in James Bond as well. She's in No Time to Die, um, and she's really, really good in that as well. So she's had kind of a excellent year. Um, yeah, I I, I love French as much. I thought it was an extraordinary film. Um. My number two is so my number one and number two are debut films by people who had never directed a film before, like a full fledged feature. Um, and uh, my number two is a movie that I watched kind of on a whim and wasn't really, I'd heard a couple things about it, but wasn't like, you know, checking for it. And then I was like, okay, this looks interesting. And then there were some comparisons that people had made to it about it being 
basically whiplash if David Fincher had directed it. Um, which anytime anyone makes a Fincher comparison, I kind of roll my eyes because there's a craft to his filmmaking that is, or his style of filmmaking that is really hard to replicate. Um, if you want to see an example of where it doesn't work, The Little Things is a perfect example of that. Um, but a great example of how sometimes that stuff will work is my number two, The Novice, um, directed by Lauren Hathaway, who had done some sound design on Zack Snyder films and um, Tarantino films and stuff like that. And the craft here shows. Um, the main actress is Isabel Furman, who people might know from the 2009 horror film Orphan. She plays the little kid in that film. That movie's fucked up. Um, but The Novice is great. It has the best score of the year. Um, it is one of the best performed movies of the year. Definitely one of the most best paced movies. It's 90 minutes. It's in, it's out. Um, I think there's aspects of it that are better than the movies that it gets compared to. It's, it's kind of a mixture of, um, the social network meets, uh, Whiplash meets Black Swan. Um, and I think it's just extraordinary. There's no Blu-ray release for this movie, which drives me fucking crazy. Someone please pick it up and just release it. Um, it's available on VOD. Um, I thought it was just a staggeringly excellent movie. I thought it was phenomenal. Um, I don't really want to say that much about it because I feel like it is a movie that is much better um, to watch and have literally zero expectations or anything about it other than you know the comparisons that i made um and it has it has maybe the best overall supporting cast in the film this year i was really blown away by it i cannot i think if there's one takeaway from this year it is that there are a lot of really young filmmakers that are making stuff that i feel very like i'm i'm very curious to see what they do um you know, I mentioned The Lost Daughter earlier with Maggie Gyllenhaal, but like Maggie Gyllenhaal um, and Lauren Hathaway and, you know, a lot of my favorite movies of the year are directed by women. And a lot of my favorite movies of the year are debut films and movies that were made by people who have never made films before. Um, and I think that's exciting, and interesting, and I'm, I'm very curious right. to see if those people kind of carve. I, I'm curious because, you know, we talk about the the erosion of film and how everything's just going to be comic book movies and shit's going to go to streaming and no one's going to talk about these movies and no one's going to care. But I think it's interesting because I think that <clears throat> there's a new generation of filmmakers coming up like the Shaka Kings and stuff like that, that, you know, are, they have the Ari Aster, the Safety brothers, right? Like we think of those guys and we're like, okay, this could really be like a new generation. We're really taking the ball and just fucking run with it. Um, and I think I think Warren Hathaway is is one of the best examples of that. The craft here is. If you said that this was a debut film, I mean, I had to like I googled multiple times to see like what the fuck is this person working on because there's no way this is a debut film. You know, it just it doesn't give you the impression at all. It feels like someone who's been making movies for ten plus years was behind the camera and was just like, you know, calling the shots on everything. Right and uh, yeah, no, it's 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 the most probably the most underrated film by far. Probably the most underrated film I've seen since either Waves or Love and Vincent. 
which is is very very high praise. All right, brother, what's your number one? I already know what this is. Uh, I feel like other people that have I feel like people that have have uh have listened to the podcast are are very aware of what this movie is considering how they should know circle back around to it. They should know already. What is it? Reveal yourself. Number number one. West Side Story. Night. Yeah. Why? So you've talked multiple times about how much you love this movie, but why am I wrong? Why are you wrong? Yes. What? What? Just floor is yours. Go for it. Everything you why, love about Green Knight. Why is it? Why is it a five out of five? Why is it like a cultural landmark? Why is it one of the better A twenty four films? Okay. I mean. For me, it has to be a great portrayal of the Knights of the Round Table. I don't care, like, I feel like if out of all the films that have been done, I don't know if they've given justice to the Knights of the Round Table. Like it's the kind of like has. Monty Python and that's it. Right. Well, it's just like most of them are dumb, dumbed down like action films, I would say. Yeah, for sure. I don't, I don't think I've, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I don't think I've seen anything as uh, well done as The Green Knight. On a technical aspect. Right. You'd made some comparisons to Blade Runner 2049 that I didn't really see whenever I first saw the movie, but upon revisiting it, it has a very kind of dreamlike um, aspect to it that feels a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything else you, I mean, you love this movie, clearly. Right. So, it's anything else, sir? I think you, just had, the, you had mentioned something the about story. the mortality. Of yeah, the story is. I don't know. I feel personally connected to it because it's like the whole thing is. You either his purpose is he just has to accept that he's going to die. Um, it's a film about like your expectation in life. And, or, I'm sorry, he accepts that he thinks he's going to die because in the actual story he doesn't actually die. But we never know because it's a 24 film and they do what they want and whatever. But in the actual story, he thinks he's going to die, and then the Green Knight spares him and doesn't chop yeah. his head off. But but he, it doesn't that that part doesn't matter. The film is he either accepts death or he doesn't. Yeah. I think it's it's interesting. It's 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 interesting because it's more like a coming of age story. You know? Right. It operates in a weird way that's a lot more like a Ferris Bueller's day off than it is 
other traditional like kind of medieval stories. I don't think I expected that. It's a very unexpected movie in the way that it operates. Um, and uh, I don't think that that led to me thinking less of it than you did, but I, I do think it's a movie that, I mean, I don't know, if you pointed, like, what are the five, if you just blind, if you were like, what are the five movies that you should watch this year? Um, I mean, for me, it's Judas and the Black Messiah, The Last Duel, maybe The Power of the Dog, and then my number one, and the Green Knight, like those are the ones that stand out. You know, when I think of twenty twenty one as the film year, right? You know, I mean, those are just those are the films that are the most exciting from directors that I think are, you know, I I don't I don't think Green Knight is it's not in my top ten, obviously, but I do think like it's a movie that is going. If you were like, what is the movie that's going to be a classic from this year? The Green Knight's the first one. And I think it, you know? it also, like, lived up, like, the bonus I'm giving it as well is that the hype for me was lived up to. Yeah. And then you already know, I mean, I couldn't, ha- you already know why I rated it number one, though, I'm sure. Go ahead and just say it. Uh, two men kissing. Oh yeah, for sure. That was well, that's why you had to go see the that's why you had to see the last duel because those orgies. <laughs> you know, because it's directed by the guy who directed coming <coughs> in. So there's potential there. Yeah. Um I just I think instantly um, like I was like, oh that's five out of five stars. You just gave me a layup for a joke on my next one. Um <laughs> my number one is a film that I have not been able to not think about since I've seen it. It's the closest thing um, to a five out of five that I've seen this year. It is also a debut film. Um, it's on Apple TV Plus. It is Swan Song, which is okay. the most emotionally devastating film I have seen in a very very long time um probably since waves but i i think it's a better film um i don't even really know what to say about this film because it's still so it's the only film that really has just lingered in my fucking brain and just occupied a lot of space there um i guess the closest comparison would be ex machina um it's a movie starring Mahershala Ali um, with a kind of sparing um, supporting cast, Naomi Harris, who people may know from Moonlight um, and the James Bond films, um, and uh, Glenn Close, who needs no introduction, mm-hmm. and Aquafina. Um, and it's about a movie, it's, it's about a guy who is terminally ill and is given an opportunity um, to clone himself and send his clone back to his family without their knowledge. And kind of the inner struggle between what is the correct thing to do. And I just thought, honestly, I might go back and give it a five. Um, It's... This is like the sci-fi shit that I want. This is the shit that Black Mirror pretends to be. This is 
the stuff that sci-fi wants to be. This is the sort of shit that people like Elon Musk try to make in the profound, you know, like this is a film that is as deep as those like things want to be that can only right. dream to be. Um, and I just thought the Mahershala Ali, I mean, at this point, if you don't have him as your number one or two actor in the world, what the fuck are you doing? Um, it's the first film that he's been the star of, which is fucking crazy to me. And obviously he's doing the dual role thing that's been done a thousand times before. But this is one of the best films to do it. Um, and it just fucking emotionally killed me. <laughs> like, I I cried at probably three times in this movie. Um, it just fucked me up. It, it Like, it, it it's deep science fiction that makes you think that isn't corny that isn't doesn't rely on things that is wholly original um and i thought the director benjamin clears knocked it out of the fucking park it's it's a shame that the movie's basically stuck on apple tv plus right because that, that streaming service fucking sucks um yeah it's like but so it's, i don't even it's uh it's extraordinary i wish this movie was on netflix or something that people could watch more I mean, it's hard to even fucking sign up for Apple TV Plus. So, like, it's you know, damn near impossible to watch. Hopefully, it gets a Blu-ray release and just watch the fucking thing. Um, frustrations aside, with the release planning of the movie, I, I just, it's, I don't know, emotional, emotional terrorism. I don't. You can't. You're not allowed to do two Frank Ocean, Moon River, Needle Drops. And, that should that shit should be fucking illegal. Wow. You cannot you cannot play Frank Ocean more. You can play you can play different Frank Ocean songs more than once. But Waves did this shit. Um you cannot play that was messed up, man. A Frank Ocean yeah, a Frank Ocean song the same one more than twice in a film. Period. That's using it's a cheat code. That's using it's a code. fucking a, and Moon River motherfucker. They play like the whole song. It's it's in the end credits as well. Fuck you. <laughs> you can't do that shit. Also, the best ending of the year. The best ending of the year. Period. This and that was just I guess another thing to get into as well. There were a lot of fucking movies that I watched this year where the ending was just really unsatisfying. A ton. I think Power of the Dog is one of them that had a really satisfying ending. Red Rocket had a satisfying ending. French Dispatch had a satisfying ending. Judas. But there were a lot of fucking movies in my top, you know, whatever, that did not have satisfying endings. I've talked about Green Knight being a problem. I had a problem with that. I thought, I think, like, the actual last five minutes of Malignant are fucking, that's kind of where the movie falls apart for me a little bit. Zola had a fucking awful ending. Drive My Car, I think, had a bizarrely cold ending that left me wanting a lot more, even though the movie was three hours. Minari's ending was like, I just kind of was like, "Eh, whatever. Spencer, I thought the ending for that movie was fucking weird. There were just a lot of movies that did not have satisfying endings that I was like, damn, if this shit would have landed, that would have been cool. Um, Right. Card Counter is a great example. Card Counter has probably the worst ending of the entire year for me. Um, 
And and Swan Song is the only movie that, you know, landed on almost every single thing. I can't genuinely I'm gonna have to change my review because there's not a single thing that I can think of that's wrong with it that I would fix. Not a single fucking thing. Maybe some pacing in the middle. There's also like genuinely some twists and shit that I think are unexpected. Mm-hmm. That again, like if you liked Ex Machina, if you like Black Mirror, watch this movie because it's which I'm speaking like directly to you almost with that. <laughs> okay. Um. Well, I know you're a big you're a big Black Mirror fan, and you like Ex Machina. I think is your favorite movie right. of the year. So like, I mean, I don't know. All That's right. Fair. Any, uh, I guess we'll, we'll, you want to recap the top 10? I'll, I'll go first. My number 10 is The Lost Daughter. My number nine is The Power of the Dog. My number eight is No Time to Die. My number seven is Red Rocket. Number six, Spider-Man No Way Home. Number five, Spencer. Number four, The French Dispatch. Number three, Judas the Black Messiah. Number two, The Novice. Number one is Swan Song. Number 10, Malignant. Number nine, Candyman. Number eight. The Power of the Dog, number seven, The Last Duel, number six, Judas and the Black Messiah, number five, The Suicide Squad, number four, Spider-Man No Way Home, number three, Bo Burnham Inside, number two, The French Dispatch, number one, The Green Knight. Hell yeah, doggy dog. That's a Hell fucking... Yeah, I like that our, our list didn't... There was a little bit of crossover, but the stuff that we liked was in different spots. You know, I'll have to I'll have to take a look at that movie, uh, Swan Song. Yeah, I I <clears throat> loved it. Thought it was extraordinary. Um, it's like a low. I, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna revise the review. The more and more I think about it, the more and more I like it. Did I? I'm did probably I gonna, I'm probably gonna uh, lean like low five. It'd be like a nine point five out of ten. Are we able to talk about 2022 assets yet? What do you mean? Did I mention that uh, I started watching uh, Peacemaker? Oh, that's interesting. No, yeah. you did not. So, yeah, um, I was. I saw Scream. Planning. Oh, Scream, the new Scream movie. I thought it was good. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was fun. It kind of is like Candyman, kind of where it's like, oh, this is an interesting. It's not as good, but uh, I was like, mm-hmm. this is an interesting reinvention of something. There's a choice that's made about two thirds midway through the movie. That I thought was uh, definitely a choice, but um, <laughs> okay. I uh, I thought it was I thought it was I thought it was good overall. I really enjoyed it. I'd probably I'd probably lean like three out of five, three and a half out of five on that one. Rest um, in peace, Matthew Lillard. Yeah, our boy from the original Scream you... movie. Uh, he uh, unfortunately fell to to NFTs. So. Oh uh, yeah, true. I thought he, I thought he actually died or some shit from it. No, like, what the fuck? <laughs> no, no, he just. I was like, uh oh, he fell into the money laundering scheme. So, um, all right, go ahead with Peacemaker. I guess you started watching that, right? Uh, yeah. So I mean, if you watch the Suicide Squad, you watching that on HBO or... Max or are you? Uh, are you? Uh, uh... H- HBO Max. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Um, you gotta share that password, brother. Uh, it was actually my roommate who put me on. Um, I don't have HBO Max, but I might get it to watch Peacemaker. I don't know. Um, I wasn't planning on watching it because I just saw stuff about it, and it, you know, 
at face value, I didn't see anything quite interesting. I just was like, okay, they're making a thing with Peacemaker. I thought they were just doing it like a spinoff thing. But then my roommate was like, all right, dude, you got to watch this. It's, it's actually really funny. I watched the first episode just to see what it was. And no, they actually went straight from the ending of the Suicide Squad to a series. So they took it from where... The, the exact ending? Well, not the exact... So they... It, it, Peacemaker wakes up in a hospital and it's like, hey, you got a building dropped on you, blah, blah, blah. How are you not dead? And he's like, I don't know. Just how Suicide Squad ends, yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty funny. Like, the first episode, there's a scene where, like, it it kind of pulls you into the series because of the way, you know, John Cena's character is. So, like, there's an episode where it's the first episode. It's where he's, he's, so he walks out of the hospital room, right? And he runs into this janitor dude. And he goes, hey, I know who you are. And he's like, you're Peacemaker. You're that racist dude. And he's like, you're that racist guy that kills black and brown people. And he's like, he's like, what the hell are you talking about? And he's like, and he's like, yeah, you kill those people. And he goes, he goes, I stop crime. And he goes, and he goes, you kill all these uh, black and brown people. And he goes, it's not my fault who's commit who what who who's committing the crime. How is that my fault? And the guy goes, <laughs> the guy goes, you need to fucking focus more on white people. And he goes, you know what? Actually, I will. I will focus ten percent more on white people, and I will kill them more for you. And he was like all right, that's fine with me. And he's like, yeah, I will. And he's like, I'll kill more white people. <laughs> and then it's just like, holy all shit, right. like this this is like a show that I want to get into, I guess. It's just funny. Like his character's like, uh, I feel like his character is like understanding, but he's like so out of touch, you know? Mm-hmm. That's just a kind of I'm like, new... I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm curious about it because I, I again I did enjoy, um, I did enjoy uh, Suicide Squad quite a bit. The yeah. Suicide Squad. We should we should fucking differentiate considerably. Um, the, but yeah, I mean, like, it, it's just, I don't know. I feel. I'm, it's always hard to sell me on TV shows, I guess. I just like, yeah. I'm like, oh, fuck, I have to sit around and, and watch this for fucking eight, eight hours it's or whatever. It's for sure. But it's for sure weird. I also, I also enjoyed um, Suicide Squad so much that the idea of like doing that is not, it's not, you know, it doesn't bother me at all, you know? I think there's, like, I, I, I probably that... will watch it at some point. As a matter of fact, of when I do. It's not. You know how some shows are like, yeah, that should have been a movie. Yeah. I think they took. I think they're able to do. I don't think it's um, in that category of that type of TV show. It's it's just a show where it's like, well, they probably won't um, reuse this character. I don't know if they will reuse the Pe- Peacemaker character, Peacemaker, but mm-hmm. it seems like he kind of. You know, in the in the Suicide Squad movie, it seems like he died. So it's fine to me that they're reusing him in a show due to the fact that he survived or whatever. And they, they're not really tracking him anymore. Well, they are a, a separate sect of the whatever the 
was it the U.S. government that did the Suicide Squad or? Yeah, that's, they say it's like a CIA operative thing. Yeah, so there's like a, in the Suicide Squad, there was that that group of people that rebelled against uh, Waller, the main the main lady. And so they basically punished those people by making them go on an assignment with Peacemaker. So it's kind of like the whole background story of that. I just saw that our boy Willem Dafoe is hosting SNL. Oh, is he really? Yeah, with Katy Perry, I guess. I just saw a tweet that I said saw... we're live with Willem Dafoe and Katy. I was trying to look up the Royal Rumble. Oh, outcome. you said SNL. Um, it said, yeah, it said we're live with Willem Dafoe and Katy Perry on NBC and Peacock TV. I saw I saw something on that, and I thought it was like from a while ago, but I must have been wrong. Shout out Willem Dafoe. Get that fucking bag, brother. Hopefully they don't make him do anything with NFTs. I would lose my mind. That's your Joker moment. Dude, did you see the thing with Jimmy? Are you going to get Green Goblin in Fortnite? (laughs) Yeah. Did you see Jimmy Fallon with his little Mm. uh, uh, ape NFT? No, I don't care. There's no way you didn't see that. I genuinely no. It, see it, it was like literally like a ten second clip on Twitter of him and some other chick showing off their NFTs. Like, this is my... uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know that she was on there and people were bitching about it, but I didn't know that. I just I can't. Oh my god, Jimmy Fallon makes me worst... want to kill myself. That is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Jimmy Fallon's I... like Jared Leto for me, where I see him show up in something and I'm just like, I'm done. Nope, out. Bye. See ya. I can't explain my feelings whenever I saw that video. It was just like, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this. Jimmy Jimmy Fallon is like the definition of a corporate sellout. Yeah. Like, just the absolute definition of like a... It's crazy because it's like, we had David Letterman on TV less than like five years ago. And Letterman was awesome. And now we I have think... this fucking clown. Like him and Kimmel, it's like, who the fuck watches late night shows, dude? Like, who is tuning into this shit? Because it's so Liberal. unwatchable. And yeah. Corden, James Corden, like, who the fuck is watching this shit? It drives me insane. I'm like, what the fuck? I wish that there was just, like, one good late-night show. Just one. That I was like, oh, I'm in. But, I mean, I guess the whole point of late-night is... Let's get Eric Andre to, to host it. I mean, the whole entire point of late-night is to come on and promote your shitty fucking movie that no one's gonna watch. Yeah. You know? So it's like... Whatever. But, I, I mean, people don't... We've seen the numbers. People don't even watch the movies. So, like, who the fuck is gonna watch the show of the guy promoting the fucking movie that they're not gonna see? I have no idea. I thought, I thought it was hilarious when um, um, Jim Carrey went on with Jimmy Fallon um, and he was like acting really weird. Like he was like It's just Jim Carrey in a nutshell. I feel like he has like well, all time. He's gonna like probably die soon. He's like fucking losing it. <laughs> he um <laughs> He went he went on he went on there and then 
he started saying like he started saying like this super vague shit. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. He went on the late the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon and he started saying like fucking Illuminati shit. Like he was like they control everything, like you know, they're they they're controlling me, they're controlling you. And he points to Jimmy Fallon. And Jimmy Fallon starts laughing and he goes, Look at it, he's laughing like he doesn't know. <laughs> That's funny. And I was like, holy shit. Like, what the fuck? I was like, this has to be either not scripted or I don't know. He's either off his meds or like he's either on to something. Or he is on to something. I feel like being being on the Fallon Assuming... show is such a like bizarre thing because it's like there's just so many like aspects of it that are like, what the fuck is this? Because it, it's just like forcing people to like operate in a very corporatized, like bizarre um, way that just makes you go like, okay. I mean, I guess yeah. that happened, but like, it's just like you know what the one thing I liked about Don't Look Up was the part where they're just the people in the news show they were just laughing. He was like. What's so fucking funny? Like, what is? I mean, they funny say that about... in the movie, right? There, it's just, it's like Jimmy Fallon. It's like, not everything is a joke. I'm sorry, but that's his selling point. He's a, he's just I... like a little jester. Yeah, I think like. I don't know. It, it's it's so like corporatized and just fucking gross. It, it's so Fake. weird. I, I don't know. Yeah. It it just yeah, I it doubt, feels fucking fake as shit. I doubt that I mean it sounds stupid, but I doubt that fifty percent of the laughter is even real laughter on that. Fuck no! Like they like they the have a thing where they shit. say like they say like laugh now. All right, we could literally yeah. rant about this shit for like twenty six fucking hours about how fucking awful ninety percent <laughs> of that shit is. Um, question time, brother. Questions. Yeah. Time to do some questions. Yo. The Riddler version. Time to yep. guess my riddles, bitch. No, I'm just kidding. Yep. Um, number one, most disappointing movie of 2021. Ooh. I have two. That's a tie. Do I want to? Do I want to say Spencer? Because I don't. I wasn't really trying to watch that movie, anyways. I mean, sure. My number. My most. Disappointing movie is kind of that way. Uh, my most or my uh most disappointing movie is probably Mass, which is a movie that was in a shit ton of people that I likes. Number one, um, and like I just watched it and I was like, eh. mm-hmm. you know what I mean? 
Like I, I was like, this is actually, <clears throat> I had it in my top 15 worst um, because it genuinely felt like offensive. I guess for people who don't know what it is, it's a film about, um, there's a couple that their family or their son committed a mass shooting and they're meeting with um, another couple who their son was the, a victim in the mass shooting. And they meet in a church and they like talk out their differences and like try to come to some sort of conclusion and like find closure on the event. But it felt so fucking manufactured and so almost like offensive because it was like the most manufactured conversation you've ever seen about a topic. They, these people would never talk in this way ever in a hundred years. And it felt like it was going through a checklist of things that people mentioned when they talk about mass shootings and just trying to clear them off a list. And I was right. like, this is fucking horseshit. Like, this is boring. Like, it felt kind of kind of the same way I feel about um, Don't Look Up, where it's like, yeah, this is deep if you're swimming in a fucking pond. Right. You know? Like, okay. And? Like, I, I just felt like it was so whatever. The other one is Many Saints of Newark, which is the... Um, the, the film that, like... It just like it's a sequel, kind of prequel to um, The Sopranos, which is one of the greatest television shows of all time, and it just felt so like unnecessary. You know, it. I guess the closest comparison would be El Camino, but El Camino feels like it fits. And there were aspects of many things in Newark, like okay, cool, we're seeing these characters again, but none of them are played by the actors who played them in the in the film or in the original show. So even that aspect of it felt unnecessary, and then it didn't even really explore things that felt that necessary in the show. It felt like a cash grab. Um, mm-hmm. There's definitely good aspects of Newark, but I feel like it was it was definitely up there in my most kind of disappointing. There's other stuff too that I'm probably forgetting, but um, those are the two that stand out to me. I guess Spencer would be yours based on how much I talked it up, but um, right. Were there any others that you were like, oh fuck, this didn't land home for me? I, you know what? Here's another good one. Nightmare Alley. Nightmare okay. Alley and House of Gucci were disappointing. I thought House of Gucci was disappointing, but only because Last Duel had come out like a couple weeks before. You're forgetting. I'd seen one. the last. I'd seen the last duel, and I was like, "Oh, this was good." And then I was like, eh. "And then Nightmare Alley. It's a Guillermo del Toro film that has Willem Dafoe and Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett and a ton of people that I love in the movie." And I just, whenever I finished it, I was like, this was okay. You know, I just expected it to be a little bit more grand, I guess. What am I forgetting? A movie. Which one? Mortal Kombat. So I've read it. It's interesting. Because I've, like, I revisited Mortal Kombat couple times like two or three times since what because I've, mm-hmm. I've watched it with certain people and then I've, I've seen it since then and i it was like five dollars or like six dollars or some shit on 4k around black friday so i was like fuck it i'll just i'll i'll drop the money and see it because it's mortal kombat so at the end of the day it's like spider spider-man and mortal kombat are like my kryptonite. Like, it doesn't even matter right. it could be dog shit and i'll still probably like it. um amazing spider-man those movies are a great example of that. Of like, is Amazing Spider-Man one a good movie? Fuck no. 
but because it's Spider-Man, I'm just like, okay, whatever. Um, and Mortal Kombat's the same way. Like, and I think especially since early in the year, I was I was really fucking hard on that movie, and I said it was like the worst thing I'd seen in a really long time. It was dog shit. I hated it. But, and there's so many movies that have come out since then, like Ghostbusters Afterlife and Free Guy. And being the <laughs> Ricardos and all these right. horrible dog shit, the little things, Home Sweet Home Alone, like Eternals, oh. which was just fucking boring. And then movies like Mass and whatever. But I was like, okay, this movie is not as fucking bad because there's aspects of it that are enjoyable. And I was right. like, is this movie good? Fuck no. It's like a 2.5 out of 5. Is it bad? No, it's kind of like Malignant. It's really not trying to be deep. It's really not trying to do anything interesting. Mm-hmm. Could the movie have been made better on a technical aspect? Yes. Is it a bummer that it's basically a setup for fucking a sequel? Yes. Is it a bummer that they never even get to the tournament? Yes. Is the main character who they just manufactured because they thought the audience was too stupid to follow along <laughs> and like be able to bounce between character and character? Like, is that dumb as shit? Yes. But, you know, is there is it kind of lame that they killed like half the characters that we like in the, in the first movie yeah right. there's a lot of dumb shit that doesn't that is just like frustrating or irritating about the movie but like it was it was fine it was good i enjoyed it and i went back and i enjoyed it and whenever i watched it the first time i enjoyed it so if there's a movie that i've gone you know back on it's it's probably that you know it's a movie that i didn't didn't love, but was like kind of whatever on. I mean, is it disappointing? Yes. As far as potential and what it could have been, absolutely. But if we did stuff based on what shoulda, coulda. Right. Damn near every movie on this fucking list could have been better. There's a reason why movies get four out of five instead of five out of five. It's because they're not as good as they could have been. So... Mortal Kombat, you're definitely thinking it's worse than I do, but, I mean, hey. Also, Godzilla versus Kong. For whatever reason, the fight scenes were just not as satisfying as I wanted them to be. I wanted just more dumb shit in that movie. If that movie had more of a malignant approach than, you know, what it ended up being, I think I probably would have liked it more. That's fair. Um, what movie is most likely to be in your top five next year? Oh, wow. Um, the Batman. For you, probably. That's pretty easy for me. Fuck, that's hard for me. That's really hard for me. I could definitely see a world in which Batman is like number six or seven. You know? I guess so. I Especially because, well, here's the thing. 2022 has so many movies. Like, it has a new Ari Aster film. It has a new fucking, you know, um, Martin Scorsese is releasing another film. The Northman is coming out. So if even those three are better... Batman's at number four now. You know what I mean? Okay. Plus the stuff that we don't know about. Um, I was going to every movie expecting it to be like a 2.5 out of 5, but sometimes the anticipation... I mean, because The Lighthouse is my favorite film of 2019, it's my favorite... It's in my top three of all time with Killing of a Chinese Bookie and No Country for Old Men. Um, I mean, The Northman is probably most likely to be up there. But I could definitely see a world in which the Northman kind of shits the bed and isn't as interesting as the other films. 
that right. I've seen from that director. Um, for me personally, probably Disappointment Boulevard. Ari Aster making the film with Joaquin Phoenix. You know? Right. But that movie is also supposed to be like a weird comedy, so I can definitely see that not working. I don't know. If I was if I was locking something in, like what 100% would be in your top five? It's probably Killers. It's actually probably The Killer, the David Fincher movie. Okay. That, make, that would make sense. That would make sense. That's, that's the one, because there's never been even... I guess Curious Case of Benjamin Button is the only one. But I don't think there's ever been a David Fincher movie that's been outside of my top five for the year. I think even Benjamin Button was in my top five of that year. I'd have to go back and look. So I don't need, I think it came out of six or something, but um six or oh eight. I always forget. Um so it would it would you know, I, I don't think he's ever released anything that isn't up there for me. Um the you say Batman? Right. Yeah. I think Wes Anderson's releasing the Western next year as well. Margot Robbie in it. So. I haven't heard I don't know. anything about that. Yeah. He filmed like a movie in the middle of a pandemic. Um, what, or I guess after, shortly, you know, when vaccines came out. Um, number three, what movie is most likely to be in the other person's top five? That's interesting. We already, we already have that. No, but the movie that you think will be in mine. And I, I mean, the movie I think will be in yours. It's pretty easy to say the Northmen will probably be up there for you. Yeah, for me, it's like Northmen, Killers of the Flower Moon, Killer. You know what one I think? I'm going to make a bold prediction that this will be in your okay. top five. If you see it, if it doesn't, if this movie does not have distribution issues and it isn't like Licorice Pizza, where it's really fucking hard to see. I think The Whale will be in your top five. The Whale. The the Brennan Fraser, Darren Aronofsky movie. Oh, yeah. I don't know why. I just everything I hear, and I think Disappointment Boulevard will be up there for you. I think, um, I think Batman will be in your top five as well. It's interesting, because you, you sway on things, and you're, you're, um, you know, you know what definitely will be in your top five when it comes out? Oppenheimer, the new Christopher Nolan movie. Oh, possibly. Have you have you heard about that? Uh, no. So you know Oppenheimer, the creator of the atomic bomb, right? Um, the film is starring it's a I think biological drama. Yeah, just look it's at that. It looks Murphy. funny. It sounds awesome. Kelly yep. Murphy. Here we go. But, like, the king... Nolan is the king of spectacle. Right. You know, big action scenes and big spectacle and big moments that make you, like, jaw, jaw, you know, jaw-dropping, I guess, is the best way to summarize his films. You love Nolan. Tenet was your favorite film last year, correct? You mean 2020? Yeah, 2020. Um, I would say so. Like you're you're much larger on on Nolan than I am, um, and what is a more spectacle thing than the creation of the atomic bomb? Right. You know? I think it could. I think it could linger into like Dunkirk territory, where it feels more. It's not as character focused. Um, 
But I think when Nolan has a script written by someone else or like source material like the Dark Knight to kind of base things off of where he can't really stray and, and try to find his own voice for characters, I think that's mm-hmm. when his films really are his 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 worst aspect is ob- is easily character writing. Um but when you have a biopic where it's, you know, a lot of people that already have the trajectory they're supposed to go on, it's I think that that would be like a good little guidebook for him to use as kind of disguise some of his his problems that he has with his filmmaking. It's interesting because he was such a good director of characters when Insomnia and The Prestige came out and stuff like that, and then kind of just like lost interest in that. So I'm very, I mean, if you were like, what's the most curious that you are about a movie? I'm super curious about that because that's a movie that I can hate you know, or, or think of is his masterpiece. Um, what's the best moment in the movie from 2021? The best moment in a movie. Yeah. Like the best scene. There's an obvious answer for this. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I mean, I know your answer. Are you thinking, are you thinking, are you thinking of what I'm thinking of? I assume, I mean, I have a guess at what your answer is, but... Spider-Man? That's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't think it actually is. I think I think my favorite, my favorite moments in the movie from this year is, I mean, the ending of No Time to Die is fucking crazy. Actually, the beginning, the, the beginning, the, the action scene with Anna Day Armas in No Time to Die is probably the most fun I had watching the movie this year. Um... Red Rocket, when that plot just happens, is is extraordinary. Judas is the Black Messiah. You could take there's so many things you could link from that movie. Um, the novice, there's a couple scenes that stand out to me. Even Suicide Squad, where like certain characters get murdered, and you're like, oh, I didn't yeah. expect that. Um, uh, Card Counter has a moment that I think is really really solid. Malignant, Malignant might have the best actually. Now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, um, Malignant has a yeah. That's that's hard to fucking beat. Um, and then Swan Song with the, the Frank Ocean needle drop, and then some of the montages in that movie, French Dispatch, with has a couple little moments here and there. But those are more moments about cinematography. Um, and then the lost, the lost daughter, maybe for me, I would say. Actually, yeah, I would say Lost Daughter has a scene that is just like brutal, and I think it's it's the best. It punctuates that movie scene so hard. I'm, I have two. I have two items for that. Um, okay. I'm gonna say the Suicide Squad when they kill that entire village of people, but they were actually on their side. <laughs> that part's really <laughs> fucking funny. <laughs> and then. Um, definitely the end scene of the Green Knight with the the future like vision for me, anyways. I think that there's a couple that could really be up there. Um, the entirety of Swan Song. Uh, worst film of 2021. Worst. Spencer. Ghostbusters Afterlife. That's fair. I, I, I mean, for, wouldn't even. Three guys. Guy, I'm gonna, three guys up. 
three guys a fucking dishonorable mention. Holy shit! I've never wanted. I'm not even. I have never wanted to die more. Ghostbusters or Free Guy? Fucking that's so okay. (laughs) All right, we're gonna go into Free Guy is the epitome of everything I hate about film. Look, I'm I'm gonna agree with you. I will take off Spencer, and I will agree with you on one of those because of your comments on it. That's I'm gonna do that one Instagram post where I'm like, I don't know, I have not watched this movie, but based on what other people have said, this movie is shit. So okay, here's the problem with Ghostbusters not one is that it relies on nostalgia. So actually, free guy, free guys probably the worst, um, because of what it represents. It's more offensive. Ghostbusters okay. Afterlife is just a bad sequel. It's just a really okay. fucking bad sequel. But that Space Jam Two is bad. There's a lot of there's a lot of bad fucking sequels. Um, the thing that makes Ghostbusters Afterlife more offensive is the fact that it's constantly trying to sell you stuff. Um, you mean you mean Free Guy? No. Well, oh. both of them. But Ghostbusters <laughs> is worse about that aspect. Okay. Ghostbusters is like, here's product placement. Would you like to buy a Kia? Oh, this brand of marshmallows is really cool. Um, oh my god. This, this product magically solved our problem. Like it is a what? clusterfuck of that. It is an advertisement. Are you serious? Fucking yes. It is an advertisement clusterfuck. There's also the problem that they bring back the old Ghostbusters. Now the problem is that one of those Ghostbusters is dead. Yeah. So what would we do in this situation? Oh, we'll just CGI the fuck out of him, and we'll just make a CGI oh. monster of a person who's dead that we didn't consent with the family to get in the movie. Are you fucking kidding me? You see the problem with that? So Ghostbusters represents the worst of corporate greed. Um, although, I think there's members of the family that actually did sign on. It's murky. Free Guy represents the hellscape that we are in with really bad movies kind of dominating <laughs> the culture. It's a Ryan Reynolds movie. He's the Antichrist, so you know we've already yeah. got a target. He represents everything that's bad about filmmaking currently. It's a void of charisma. Shout out to Jodie Comer for getting a check that she obviously didn't get for The Last Duel. It's the only good thing about Free Guy. Um, which I guess would make it number two because there's actually something good to say about that. But, you know, also Bill Murray got a paycheck off of Ghostbusters Afterlife. So, oh yeah, who, mm, it's mixed. Right, um, right. Oh, the other thing about Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters is a cynical movie that is making fun of corporatization because it's a twist on bug exterminators. Like, the original version is very cynical. Right. They even make a joke in the second one about how sequels are not... And Ghostbusters Afterlife is the epitome of everything that the people who made the first one hated when they made the first one. Free Guy is the epitome of everything that anyone who likes films hates about films because it's a film that is constantly trying to fucking sell you on shit. It has Ryan Reynolds in it. It's boring as fuck. It's bland as shit. It's predictable. It's a worse version of Ready Player One. It's filled with all these cameos and dumb bullshit. It's basically the Adam Sandler film Pixels, but worse. Ooh, that's and gross. the thing about Free Guy that makes it really, really gross is it's a film that Disney picked up from Fox when they purchased them. 
and they fill it with an absolute fuck ton of Disney IP. So Captain oh, America Shield shows up at one point, and it's a cell. It's kind of like what it represents to me, and maybe it's just my personal hatred of Disney that's really peeking out here, but it represents to me the worst of conglomeratization of film. And it's like, it's kind of Disney, like waving their cock in your face. Like, well, we purchased Fox and there's nothing you can do about it. And we're going to put Spider-Man in every single theater that we possibly can. And you won't be able to go see the smaller films that A24 makes or like Licorice Pizza or the stuff that Focus Features has made because we're going to buy them out because those movies are going to bomb because we're going to fucking take over the spot. Kind of like when Hateful Eight and uh, Force Awakens came out around the same time. And uh, there were several times in big theaters and big markets where Disney forced theaters to play Force Awakens instead of Hateful Eight because they wanted it to have more weeks where it was number one in America mm-hmm. so they could set a record. It's just dirty shit like that where you're just like, oh, yeah, fuck Disney. Like, I don't want to give you any of the money. Um, I'll just be point blank and say that um, there isn't a single film that's made by Disney that's in my list for a reason. Yeah. Um, Spider-Man No Way Home is a... Spider-Man No Way Home is a bit of a caveat because it's made by Sony, but it's obviously part of the MCU. So there's a little bit of murky ground there, but I think that they have just... I mean, there's movies made by Fox that are on my list. Um, the Last Duel is a great example, but like they just have corporatized film in such a fucking dirty way, and this film is like the ultimate stamp of like, fuck you. If you like movies, suck my dick. We're going to destroy the mid-level of movies. This is what comedies are now. Everything's Deadpool or Guardians of the Galaxy now. There is no Tropic Thunder. There is no Superbad. There is no Will Ferrell comedies. Thank God Don't Look Up exists because I feel like it kind of reminds people of that. But it's not really a comedy. Right. And it's just kind of a disgusting show of corporate greed. So for that reason, Free Guy is number one. Um, there's a shit ton of other movies like Red Notice. Red Notice is kind of the same thing as Free Guy, but it's less flagrant about how much it's just flipping you off and spitting in your mouth. Unconsensually. Watching Free Guy is... This is the most scathing thing I can say about Free Guy. Watching Free Guy and my, my feelings towards Free Guy is how I feel about... It is probably how I think rape victims feel when they're forced to think about their rape after the fact. Just taking something that was so pure and just tainting it in the worst possible way. And then, and then like, just consistently insulting you for two hours straight. Actually, yeah. let's go a step. Let's go a step for, further. Free Guy is the worst movie I've ever seen. Free Guy is one of the three worst movies I've ever seen in my entire life, <laughs> and it okay, might be the worst. Stepping it up a little bit. I hate that fucking movie. Cannot what? stand it. I kind of want to watch it now, just because you said that. It's horrible. 
You know what I mean? Like, so, because it's your worst movie, like, uh, almost. Like, you I don't think you've ever seen any of these on my worst ever. I don't think you've ever seen any movies on my worst. I mean, the kill team is fucking horrible. I thought the movie was, like, laughably bad. Um, what's the other one? We need to talk about Kevin, I think, is the other one, right? That movie sucks ass. Um, those movies are horrible, but, um, I can see aspects of why people might like those movies because there's things that kind of show as not being the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life at certain moments. Um, and maybe their entire runtime is not horrific. But Free Guy, there's just not a single aspect of it that I look past and I go like, man, that was good. It's like everything about it, I hate. Everything it represents, I hate. I don't even know why the fuck I watched it because I knew I was going to hate it. Don't forget so. what we have a few more questions, I think. No, that's the last one. I narrowed it down. That was the last one? Okay. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, that's the uh, that's the top ten. What a negative way to end that on. That was um, super negative. <laughs> <laughs> That was horrifically negative. That was the most fired up I felt about the maybe in the entire history of the podcast. Um, do you want to? You know what? You want to end this on a good note? Yeah. You gonna do the Hall of Fame? The Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is what we're gonna call it. Um. Or do you want to at least? This will be quick though. This will be really really quick. How many movies? I have mine off the three. Three? Three films, one three films a piece, one director a piece, and then uh that's it. I'll go I'll go director first if you want. Oh, and we have one veto. One oh, veto we, where you we, we only get yeah. three films together. No, three films a piece. Okay, so, so I nominate three, three you nominate films. three. And yeah, then and we then only we get... nominate one director. And that's it. Life Aquatic. I'm wondering if I should use my veto or not. <laughs> now keep it. Keep that would have been really rude. Well, the thing is, if I use that, I know you're gonna, you're gonna um... <laughs> veto one of yours. Yeah. Um. You don't have to use the veto, so maybe we'll be nice to each other. Okay. Um, because I want you to play nice with me before I'm forced to use the veto. I'm gonna <laughs> nominate the director. Okay. Uh, Martin Scorsese, the most. Probably um, influential, most important director in film history. Um, I want I want to talk about his films in depth because his career is so sprawling. I mean, it's very very rare that you could argue that someone's films released in the seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands, two thousand tens. Like you could argue any of those are the best period of time for him, legitimately. 
Um, he has 10 out of 10s in five different decades. That's fucking crazy. Do you so veto you that? get one director? You get one director to nominate. Uh, yeah, I get vetoed. Really? <laughs> You're a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, thank you. How <clears throat> does right. it feel? Fuck you. See, this is fun. <laughs> um, fuck. Now I have to think of a different director. Or I could go movie now because you used your veto. Yeah. And see if you do the same. Because you're doing it first and I'm doing it second. Um <clears throat> shit. That fucked me. That fucked me over really bad. Or I could be an asshole and I could just do a Martin Scorsese movie. And yeah, then you're full and then I could just do the same thing anyway. <laughs> um I'm trying to do more I don't want to do a bunch of movies that you have to see. That's the problem. Um, hmm. I have a director. Go for it. Or directors, the Cohen brothers. I'll accept it. All right. Fuck. So the Life Aquatic and the Cohen brothers. You have two. You have two more movies you can nominate. And then I have I haven't nominated shit. <laughs> uh, gotta, I mean I can't your veto? veto anymore. Yeah, I can't veto. Yeah, anymore, since you've already so. used your veto, I'm gonna nominate The Exorcist as a movie. Okay. A movie you've never seen. Uh, I've actually yeah I've, I've actually seen that movie. You have? Yeah, I told you that, and you were like, "No, you haven't." And I was like, "Yeah, I did. I did see it." I can't wait. Oh, that movie's gonna be awesome to talk about. I love that fucking movie. You actually so reminded me that I need to buy it on Blu-ray. Yeah, I have a fucking really hard to find. Um, let me grab it. It's on my shelf. It's a digi book. You know what those are? Where it has a little book in the middle with the Blu-ray. Mm. It has like a. It's like a book. Like it opens up like a book, and it has like all these shots and stuff of the film. And it has two Blu-rays. It has the extended director's cut on one disc, and then it has the original theatrical version. And this goes for like 150 bucks on eBay. God damn! I found it for ten dollars at Vintage Stock. I think they mislabeled it. They might so I have. just I snatched it. I used to have a copy that was just the it was just the um, extended director's cut, but I was like, this doesn't even have the fucking theatrical, which is the version that I think I probably like a little bit more um yeah that shit slaps all right your turn um for a movie I'm curious if you're just gonna i'm curious if you're just gonna nominate your favorite movies <laughs> uh i mean it's hard not to that's true Oh, I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a rule. Right now. What rule? Here's the these are just in. These are just the two movies that are in the, the thing. Okay. Being John Malkovich is in. Okay. 
the first film we ever talked about on the podcast. Right. Locked in. Um, I'm not going to put Mank there because I don't think that it's the best, even though it's the other movie we talked about on the pod. I don't think it's the best David Fincher movie, so I don't want to nominate it. Um, but being John Malkovich is locked in. Literally the first movie we ever mentioned on the pod. So you don't even have to bother nominating that. I'm trying to look at my shelf and just look at movies. Because I was going to do No Country for All Men, but because you've nominated the Coens, I just right. I don't feel the need to even do it. And I feel like The Lighthouse is kind of a... You know what? That's that's locked in, too. Yeah. It was the podcast image. So those two will just be... Being John those Lockage, two will be The just, Lighthouse. Um, yeah, those two, so we're going we're gonna to up it to eight, I guess, technically. Uh, Life Aquatic, Exorcist, Being John Malkovich, The Lighthouse, those are locked in. I have... But we both have two more films that we can nominate, and I have a director. Hmm. Thank you. I don't know. You own Beast of No Nation? Didn't I buy that for you? You did. You did. Okay. You own The Invitation? The Invitation? Mm hmm. Yeah. Do you own Burning? No. Oh, okay. oh, oh, you can nominate uh, Bong Joon-ho. I'm not going to. You could. I could, I'm not going to. Could we put Parasite in the Hall of Fame? If you want to nominate it. I'll nominate it. You get one more. Um... Hmm. I'm nominating David Fincher. That's fine. I keep I kept circling back to it. Um and you could be an asshole. You know what you could do? Well, I have an idea already, but I don't what are you gonna say? Go ahead and propose your idea. Let's see. Wasn't it a Fincher film? I have another movie that I'm going to nominate. I kind of don't want to nominate stuff that's already in the director hall. Yeah, I don't remember if this is... Yeah, it is. Do you want a taxi driver? I do. Do you own The Shining? I do own that movie. Uh, I do. Yep. You own Kajams. You know what? This is hard. This is harder than I thought. Uncut Gems. That's a Safety Brothers movie. That uh. Over Good Time. Well, I was thinking of Safety Brothers movies, and I was trying to think like what they make. What's the one that you uh, 
What's the one that you were gonna? Oh, I was gonna do Gone Girl, but you already did Fincher, so. I was gonna say that you could do the thing and force me to watch it. Um, Uncut Gems, I'll nominate that. I'll nominate Uncut Gems. Over Good Time? I feel like I've gone back to watch Uncut Gems more. Wow. If I'm going to be honest. That's a crazy... Hmm. My number four is The Dark Knight. Okay. That makes sense. All right, one more for me. Hmm. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot the ones that I'm, I'm thinking. All right, you can totally veto that. Oh, I'm vetoing it. Fuck it. (laughs) Vetoing what? What? Uncut Uncut gems. Yeah. Then fuck it. I nominate good time. (laughs) (laughs) Can I go back? (laughs) No. (laughs) You already. You already proclaimed something. Damn, I should have used it on fucking Life Aquatic. You bamboozled me. Um, uh, should have done it on Parasite. That would have really pissed you off. It would have. All right, here's the ones that I'm circling in my brain. Okay, are you ready for this? Go ahead. Silence of the Lambs. Okay, it's solid. Mishima. I have not seen it. And all these films that I'm thinking of, I, I, I can find ways for you to watch, even if you can't get a hold of the Criterions or Blu-rays or whatever. Um, wink, wink, for people who know what that means. And people who have listened to two hours and 30 minutes of us shooting the shit and mostly silence beyond the top 10. Um, right. The Breakfast Club. Okay. Funny Games. Okay. The Elephant Man. Minding the Gap. Beast of No Nation, Robocop, mm-hmm. The Invitation, mm-hmm. Alien, American Psycho. I'm surprised you didn't go for that one. Well, you're still listing. I know, but you're done. You're out. Oh, right. Um, unless you want to change something. No, I, well, I was thinking um, you were waiting on me to say like hey that's a good movie or something drive ex machina first reformed the florida project ghostbusters one goodfellas hatefully and glorious bastards iron giant jurassic park the Lion King, The Master, Moonlight, Napoleon Dynamite, Psycho, Prisoners, Scream, The Shining, Seven. I know what I'm doing. Okay. You've seen every single film on this list. 
You've seen mm-hmm. Life Aquatic. Yeah. You've seen The Exorcist. You've seen Parasite. Yep. You've seen The Dark Knight. Yep. You've seen Good Time. Yep. You've seen Dean John Markovich, and you've seen The Lighthouse. Correct. Correct. And you have seen the majority of the Coen Brothers films, and you've seen the majority of the David Fincher films. Mm-hmm. There is a film that you have not seen that I have been protesting for you to see for a very, very, very long time. Can you guess what it is? Uh, First Reformed? Wrong. Uh, The Elephant Man? Wrong. I said The Elephant Man because you've mentioned that movie a lot as one of your favorite movies. And also I figured that you may... I figured you may... Spoiler alert, it'll be there next year. I'm looking up two of them to see if they're in... If I can easily just VOD it and then have you watch it. It's hard because the PlayStation sucks. No, I'm not searching for fucking Exorcist the Heretic. That's not happening. Dumbass fucking PS4. Let's see if this is on there. Kill time while I'm uh, while I'm figuring this out real quick. I gotta brush my teeth there. anyways. Uh, fuck. What was the other one that I was thinking of? This is the problem when you have dementia. Right. Are you a big fan of Phoenix? How many um, Walking Phoenix movies do you think you've seen? Not a lot. That's not specifically a lot of them. Would you be interested in watching another? I'm I'm open to it. Maybe one with Phil from the Hoffman in it. That's so loud. Thanks, I'm taking my contacts out. It's kind of hot, though. Yeah. Grabbing a thin layer of plastic or silicone on your eye. Fuck, it's not on there. Damn it. It's also long, so I don't want to nominate that. Um... Why don't you nominate the elephant man? I figured that that's what you would nominate. Because it's a Criterion film that's not on streaming anywhere. Hmm. Let's go. Fuck it, we'll go first reformed. Or not. Chance to uh, gives me a chance to talk about that film. Why I like it so much. And you might hate it, so that'll be fun. Oh yeah, right. always gonna be funny. Here's the uh, the Hall of Fame, the, uh, the the films that we have nominated for um, consideration, and the two directors, or I guess three directors that we have nominated for um, the Hall of Fame. 
we will do so we'll do an episode where we're talking about these films kind of more in depth and just kind of i guess we'll do this once a year um and it gives us like an opportunity to talk about movies that this is really awkward doing this while you're brushing um <laughs> this is like classic audio um <laughs> it gives us a chance to talk about the movies more in depth and really like kind of um Talk about stuff that we normally don't talk about because a lot of the time we talk about more current stuff and things that we've seen more, more recently that are new. But this kind of gives us a chance that we can to go back and, like, you know, revisit or maybe talk about movies that we are thinking about in the time and, and like, really hone in on those. Um, so AJ nominated The Life Aquatic, Parasite, and Good Time. I nominated The Exorcist, Dark Knight, and First Reformed. And then our honorary two lock-ins um, due to the history of the podcast is being John Malkovich and The Lighthouse. Correct. And then the two directors were the Coen brothers uh, and David Fincher. So um, we will talk about all that stuff on the next episode of the podcast, whatever number that is. I can't even remember. I'm senile as fuck. And uh, that'll be that. Can you still hear me? Yes. My AirPods are at 10%. All right, that means we got to go. Yeah. Good, my boys and girls. Let us know what your favorite movie of the year was. Joe Biden sent me a text message saying to brush my teeth. That's why I did it. You should should always listen to Sleepy Joe. (laughs) Or else he'll get you. He heard you in the background. He said,